BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. You right, Kath? Yeah, I'm fine. Nice one. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. And do you know what? I'm in the mood for it this morning. I don't know. There's just something sparky in the air. I don't know what it is. Whether it's in my blood, it's in my water. When they say water, they mean urine. There's something. And I'm sparky and I'm perky and I'm, I'm up for it. That'll be gone by quarter to seven. So, you know, after... Give it 45 minutes, then, 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 then move on. Lots coming up in the show today, including... There could be as many as 130 new traveller pitches in Bedfordshire in the future. Residents in Harlington are really unhappy about it. Why do you think that there is so much opposition to the plans? You can find out why people in Little Haddam are fed up with motorists jumping red lights. Oh, it's one of my pet hates, is that? And, you know the lottery? It's a quid, isn't it? It's only a quid. It's a quid once a week. It, no, it's going to be two quid come the autumn to play the lottery. Is it a waste of time and money playing the lottery? Will you stop when the price goes up? Do you agree with me? The lottery is an idiot's tax. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook, always very busy at the moment. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. But look, I have 12 lines. All 12 of them are empty. Phone in. There's 12 on my screen. I don't know how many you've got there. It's 12. There may be less than 12. I don't want to do a Steve Wright Sunday love song thing, but let's just say we have a certain amount of lines into the building. They're all empty. So now would be an excellent time to give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And coming up later on in the show, we'll be discussing the thorny subject of how to keep ice off of your windscreen. It really annoys me, okay? The the thing that annoys me most about the cold weather uh, is having to get up early and then go to my car and have to scrape the ice off the window. They call it a windscreen. It's a window. Uh, And I always sit in my car for five minutes, optimistically hoping that my heater, with the AC button pressed, will manage to melt the ice in the window. It doesn't. And this morning I had to get out twice and scrape the ice off. So I sat in the car for a few minutes, it didn't melt it, got out, scraped it, got back in. And it was still a bit funny, I thought, I I can probably get away with this. By the end of my street, I'd I'd nearly killed three cats, and I thought, actually, I'm going to have to get out and scrape it again. The double scraping, what is going on? We'll be discussing um, the, the ways that we can get around that. But on to more serious issues. Later today, Central Bedfordshire Council will decide how many traveller pitches it needs to provide over the next 20 years or so. It could be as many as 130 new pitches. Let me just sink in for a second. Over the next 20 years, there could be as many as 130 new traveller pitches. Well, last month, a list of 34 potential sites to put those pitches was released by the council, and residents near to them have been speaking out against the plans. Well, political reporter Paul Scoynes has been following this. Paul, what's being proposed? Well, Ian, uh, 130 is around the limit that they might be looking at today. It was 135 in in June of last year. It seems to have dropped down to 130. That'll please nobody, I'm sure. Well, um, they say that there'll only be 10 pitches per site... So, so that's, that's 10 caravans or whatever? Yeah. Yes, OK. Ultimately, yes. And that is up to 2031. Now, that's because um, we've, we've heard, you know, of these old regional development agencies, and they used to set targets. And you remember when we were talking about housing recently? Mm. We said that the, the housing targets have been set regionally. Yes. Well, this is the same body that was setting the traveller site provision as well now they were disbanded when the coalition came into power yes and as such then the councils have had to take that over they're having to make their own decisions 
but agree them with the government. So. And I'm, I'm guessing the residents aren't happy. That's right, yeah. Now, I was at a meeting in Harlington this week, and usually when you go to a parish council meeting, you maybe might see a member of the public, but more often than not, you probably don't. Mm. At the last parish council meeting in Harlington, there were six people. Right. Oh, dear. Right. At this meeting... I would estimate somewhere in the region of 250 people. Wow. Up. Uh, can I just suggest, if you want to find out what happens at these meetings, follow you on Twitter, at Paul Scoynes, because you tweet yeah. photographs, and the photographs were incredible. It was rammed, wasn't it? People it standing was... around the edges, around the back. Yeah, absolutely. There was a separate room around the back of the parish hall where nobody could hear anything at all, and so you had some around 120 people who were very frustrated that yeah. they couldn't be heard and that they couldn't hear they anything. They couldn't hear what was going on. So uh, the, the, the tempers, I, I would say, it would be fair to say, were frayed mm. um, and uh, and what the meeting or the, what the parish council decided to do was hold a full public meeting next month uh, what we you know the, the, the things that were coming back to me was that the residents didn't think they didn't believe this 10 pitches per site they thought it was going to grow mm. one one person said it could be a new dale farm lots of frustration lots of uh, uh, concern about the lack of information as these residents said to me first we all heard it was last thursday we had letters in our pigeonholes at school and all the end of the village that were concerned it's, it's not good enough. It's just too short notice, really, isn't it? You need but to think, think, think about these things. The majority of people here tonight are here through word of mouth. Yeah, we've had nothing. We've no, had nothing. Nothing, nothing in through the, the doors. N- nothing through the doors. Absolutely nothing. We find out the c- potential gypsy site is just on the outskirts of our village. When you try and get something built in this village, you can't get anything built. You know, the planning, you've got to go to the planning. You have an extension. Yeah, and and so it's it's wrong. And, and why have the parish? council allegedly been kept in the dark you've got a situation here where a lot of the the heat is is due to the fact that we only i only heard about it as a rumor on sunday and that was a pure rumor we didn't know anything about it at all and that's why people have come in here tonight with a little bit of a temper on um you need to know i mean mr cameron's big society doesn't seem to be working and i only heard about it two days ago because of facebook now, I said earlier on that I'm guessing this is going to please nobody. We know the residents aren't happy. I would imagine that the, 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 the travellers perhaps aren't happy as well with this. Well, the travellers aren't happy because they don't say that they've been, uh, or they say they haven't been consulted. Mm. And, and actually, one traveller who I spoke to, who you'll be talking to later on, said, well, that number of 130 isn't enough. Mm. We need probably four times that number wow. of pitches. Because if you think about the number of children who are going to be born into traveller families over the next 20 to 30 years, um, that number will just be gobbled up. They said they could use 130 today. Um, they also say that, that families are now resorting to buying houses uh, and giving up their sort of traditional way of life, if you like, because councils aren't listening to them and they've given up on councils providing sites as well so yeah problems on both sides what happens next well there'll be a meeting today as we say and they'll get that number um, clarified then there'll be some i would imagine lots of uh, quite feisty council parish council meetings all over bedfordshire uh, next month there'll be a, a meeting at central bedfordshire council to decide that sort of plan of where they're going to put them mm. be that, that short list made from that long list then that um that will be stamped by the executive in march and then that will go to the government and then there'll be a consultation 
and then next year we'll know the full story we'll know exactly where they're all going to be and that will be signed off in around spring of next year okay lovely paul thank you very much for that uh, indeed we'll be speaking about this later on but what do you think oh eight four five nine four double five five double five 130 new pitches for travelers in central bedfordshire or over bedfordshire in the next 20 years good idea or a bad idea what do you think it's a dirty song isn't it i know this song has always made me feel uncomfortable it's a really dirty, dirty song. I could never be that um, sexually confident to sing about my sexual prowess. Imagine singing about how sexy you are. I mean, you know, possibly I could, could send a, a text or something do it like that. Not to you, Ollie, work experience. You, you will not be getting that text. But to actually prance around on top of the pop singing, I'm, I'm sexy. <laughs> I wonder how Rod Stewart defrosts his windscreen. Do you imagine he's ever done that? Of course not. He gets his butler to do it, or his wife. But th- I know, it's, it's silly and it's nonsense, but it's really annoying me with this cold, frosty weather. The best way to defrost your windscreen. Lots of suggestions from people here at work. I disagree with all of them. We'll discuss them later. If you have any tips, do give me a call. So, uh, it's icy, it's cold. I get into my car at 4.30 in the morning, OK? And it's frosty. So I, I sit in my car for five minutes, hoping that the heater will h- melt the ice. It won't. I get out. And I scrape it, I get back in, there's still ice and residue, I have to get back out and do it again. What's the best way to stop that happening? Various suggestions, uh, Hugo, who's, who's working here with us, has suggested you put newspaper on the windscreen the night before. Now, I kind of like that, because that's cheap and easy. Catherine Boyle's got her own version, we'll get her to tell you that later on, I, I dispute it. But Dave in Luton, Dave, what's your suggestion for getting rid of uh, the, the frost on my windscreen? Right, number one, don't put newspapers, because the... Newsprint are going to the windscreen. You get a hell of a job getting that off. Ooh, let's, let's, just right. it, let's just hope it's, let's just hope it's, hang on, hang on, it's coming. Let's just hope it's page three, eh, Dave? I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking, it's dated, right. it's dated. Yeah, you're dirty, you are, you know what I mean? Sorry? Um, right, get in your car, start it up. Yes, I'm in. Starting right. it, I'm in, I'm sat down, no. I'm starting it up. Brum. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, no, you turn it off. In. What? No, you've got in. I'm in, car I'm starting it. Brum. Get back out. With right. the car going. Okay, I'm out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Get all your window wiper blades. Yeah, got to it. make sure they're not stuck to the windscreen. Okay. <laughs> they're off. Them. Yeah, right. I've got them. You've got, a sm- you've got a bottle of water in your hand. Have I? Yeah. Oh, oh yes, Luke. I have, yes. Lukewarm. Right. Not red hot, lukewarm. Lukewarm. Yeah. So you yep. can touch it with your hand. Ooh. Over the top of the windscreen. Yeah. Put the water. Yep. And your wiper blades are going. Right. Hang on, they're not going, I've lifted them up. No, 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 no. Oh. Listen. Start again. Listen. I'm in the car. You, t- you get out of the car, you t- lift the windscreen wipers. Are they going not. at this point or not? No, wait a minute. Listen. <sighs> you go out, you, you start your car up, you've gone round to your windscreen. And the windscreen lifted- wipers are not going. No. No. You've lifted your windscreens up. Yes. The wipers. Yes. To see they're not stuck to the windscreen. Right. You burn your motor out if you do. Yeah. If they're loose, yeah. you start your wipers up. You didn't say that before. No, you stand your You didn't say up. that before, David. Listen. I'm listening now. Win- make sure the windscreen wipers are not stuck to the windscreen. Yes. When they're released, get back into your car and start the windscreen wipers going. Right, okay. <laughs> right, then you've got lukewarm water. Yes. Tip it over the top of the windscreen. Yes. And it'll run down and make sure you don't get a bit wet, but you'll see the wipers and then wipe the water off. Right. Okay. And it, when you see it go dry, yeah. that windscreen will never go 
frosty again. What, it will never go frosty ever well, again? It, no, that day. Oh, OK. Well, two things, no. David. Two things. Let me stop you there. Two things. Yeah. First thing, that's going to crack your windscreen. Second what? thing, if it doesn't no. crack your windscreen, it's so cold, that water will freeze. No, it won't. If you're wise the blade to go in, it'll, clean, it'll make it dry very, very soon. Oh, my windscreen's cracked, Dave. You owe me £300. No, no. no you, if you no. tip hot water on, yeah. if you tip hot water, it will. You owe, me, you free, you owe, me, you owe me a new windscreen. No, no. Yes. You, you, you no. Lose. You owe me a new windscreen. Right, hold on. Right. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots going on in the show today. You can't pour lukewarm water on your frozen windscreen. That will, that will shatter the windscreen. If you've got a crack in yours, it'll shatter it. And also, if it's, not, if it's too warm, it'll shatter. If it's not warm enough, that, ice, that water will turn to ice and you will have the same problem all over again. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, a Hertfordshire man is taking legal action against Luton Borough Council after his wife died of an asbestos-related illness. An inquest established that 64-year-old Hazel MacDonald, who was a teacher, came into contact with the dangerous fibres during her work. We'll talk to her husband, Ian, uh, in about an hour's time. He says it happened while she was working at Denby Primary School and is looking to claim damages from the local education authority. But uh, first of all, we can speak to Dr Penny Woods, who is Chief Executive of the British Lung Foundation. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Ian. How strong a link is there between this disease and asbestos exposure? Um, Well, it's safe to say that asbestos is really the only cause of mesothelioma. Um, There might be one or two cases that aren't absolutely 100% proven, um, but really the causal link is completely established. Is there... I was always told, and I may sound like an idiot saying this, but I don't mind, I was always told there were two types of asbestos. One was a good one, that didn't do you much harm, and one was a really, really bad one. Is that right? Actually, that's a really good question. Um, There are actually three forms of asbestos, and they're known as blue and brown asbestos and white asbestos. And the very, very worst forms are the blue and brown asbestos, which was actually banned in the 1980s for use in construction. Right. Um, White asbestos is slightly less harmful and was actually only banned in 1999. But, of course, that actually means that any building Mm. that was built or or renovated um, before the turn of the century could actually contain asbestos. And it's only when it's disturbed that it's dangerous. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. If it's in good condition and it's left undisturbed, um, then it should be absolutely safe. If it is disturbed, so if you drill it or if you try and remove it, and the fibres are actually released into the air, it's only when you inhale it and the fibres get into the lungs, that's when it becomes harmful. How much do you have to inhale? Do you have to be exposed to it over a long period of time, or, or actually, not? Actually, it's, um, it is known that small exposures can actually cause um, the problems right. in the future. So, for example, it is quite possible that, um, for example, people, wives who, who washed their, their husband's clothes when they were shipbuilders and so on, um, they, the exposure that they got to asbestos can actually cause um, the problems of mesothelioma. I remember hearing about uh, uh, asbestos um, deaths in the 80s and early 90s when I was growing up, and it was always associated with the construction industry, or primarily. Uh, are we hearing more about it in other areas now? That's really interesting. I mean, in the past, absolutely, people who worked in the construction industry and in shipbuilding, in railway engineering and in factories that made the products were the ones who are actually most at risk. Nowadays, it's absolutely anybody who is working in construction, including plumbers, um, electricians, uh, actually even people who are carrying out DIY in their own homes and can come across this and actually be exposed and, and be put at danger from it. If people think they've come into contact with it, Doctor, what should they do? 
don't touch it is the first thing to say. Um, the worst thing they can do is try and remove it themselves without expert advice. What they should do is either phone up the council or a properly trained professional disposal expert to come have a look at it for them um, to see if it needs removing and if it does need removing to actually remove it safely. Please, people, do not touch it yourselves. Don't try it. That's the worst thing you can do. Dr Penny Woods, uh, Chief Executive of the British Lung Foundation, thank you very much. Well, later on in the show, we'll be speaking to Ian MacDonald, who is the husband of Hazel MacDonald, who was a teacher uh, who died of an asbestos-related illness. Uh, if you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. Facebook is warming up very nicely. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. We are looking for your tips on how to... The, the frosted windows on the car. Man, it's so annoying. And I made the mistake of buying a, a scraper the other day, one ninety nine. One ninety nine. Yeah, it, it, you get one ninety nine's worth of scraping. It's rubbish. It's bent. So it's curved. So there's only a tiny point of it that actually touches the windscreen. What... What's it, why, is, why was that ever invented? And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. So go on then. How do you stop your window frosting up? I've got like a specially made clip-on sort of screen cover. Right. How much that cost you? Tenner. Exactly. Yeah, uh, but it's paid for itself 50 times over because I don't want to be scraping my windscreen when everyone's trying to sleep around me. Okay. So and you... I don't want to be squirting stuff all over it because it doesn't work. Sorry? So, okay. So you've got this, this cover. You go out in the morning. It's really cold. Uh, how do you get it off? It's frozen. It's not frozen because it's on with magnets. Okay. So it's not actually necessarily directly touching my windscreen. So you've got a cold, wet cover that's cost you a tenner. Yeah. Where are you going to put it? I've got a plastic bag in the boot of my car. Next. <laughs> Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh dear, someone's got a bit of a cob on, haven't they? Uh, Coming up in the next half an hour, uh, where is the worst junction in the three counties for motorists jumping red lights? I hate it. I hate motorists jumping red lights. I hate cyclists doing it as well. But motorists... Well, we're going to hear why people in Little Haddam are fed up with drivers where they live. And it's a tax on the poor, reports the Daily Mail. The Mirror says people are being priced out of a dream. I say it's an idiot's tax. Well, guess what? It's going to cost you two quid to buy a lottery ticket in the future. It's going to happen this autumn. How much money do you reckon you've spent playing the lottery? Reporter Justin Dilly will be in Luton later on to find out what you think. And your tips on defrosting windows. I know it's... Listen, there are more important things going on in the world, but at the moment, this is the most important thing to me. To clear your windscreen, put your demister on medium and let it thaw in its own time. I haven't got 30 minutes! Also, when I have my car running, I'm really aware that my car is running at 4.30 in the morning. And if someone was sat outside my house at that time in the morning with their engine running and their music playing quite loudly, I'd be furious. Nick continues, help it by using a bit of de-icer, but don't use any water. And don't use your wipers before you've lifted them off the windscreen to make sure they're not stuck to the glass. Um, Ian, that man's advice on defrosting your windscreen was correct. This is Lucy in Luton. I do it every day to my car. It works perfectly. Make sure you use hand temperature water. Hand temperature? What? And not boiling. Only boiling will crack your windscreen. And then an anonymous text. This must be from the future. Someone has texted us from the future because this technology doesn't exist. Does it? Ian, glad you were thinking the same with the warm water on your windscreen, either cracking or refreezing. My solution is to buy a car with a heated windscreen... No, that does not exist, does it? Wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my... That's almost as cool as the um, headlights with their own little windscreen wipers. I know, 
amazing. Speak to you after this. A little bit of Foreigner. Morning! In Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Mm. 08459455555 is the telephone number, should you wish to give me a call. And there's lots to talk about this morning. Oh, there's plenty to talk about. Including that this is one of my pet hates. Not foreigner, although... No, I like foreigner, I'm teasing, I like foreigner. The band. And the people. I don't want to sound racist, I like the people. I think they're great. Now, residents in a Hertfordshire village fear a child will be killed before action is taken to change a dangerous road junction. They say that motorists regularly jump red lights in the centre of Little Haddam, where the road bends sharply and narrows into a single carriageway over a bridge, which is hemmed in by listed buildings. In a moment, we're going to talk to Jonathan Forgeham, who chairs the parish council. Morning, Jonathan! Good morning. We'll come to you in a second. Be patient with me, sir, because first of all, we want to hear from two of the villagers, Helen Walker and Justine Erthrell, who've witnessed the risks involved for pedestrians crossing the road. Hello, Helen. Hello, Justine. Good morning. Good morning. Helen, let's start with you first. Tell us about your worst experience of this junction. What happened? Oh, um, well, about four years ago, I was walking my children to school, as I do most days, and at that time they were, they were quite young, uh, seven, six, and uh, a little one in a pram. And uh, I did, as I usually do, wait at the lights for the traffic to, to, to stop when the lights turned red. And once the lights were red, I checked there was nothing coming from the other direction, said to my older two boys who were walking to cross the road, as I did every day, and uh, they, you know, set off across the road, and the car came from two or three cars behind the one that was stopped at the red lights, overtaking the stationary vehicles and, uh, and and missed him by about six inches. Wow. How did you feel? Oh, well, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And it happened in, in the blink of an eye, and I honestly, I couldn't believe it. Did he stop? No. No, no. I was, I'm just thinking, as a dad of two little kids, I, I, it's, you know, that would be terrifying. It's one of those moments when your heart just sinks. Yes, it did. Uh, well, it was, it was in my mouth, and... Uh, I couldn't believe what I had seen, and um, Justine, your your um, I- incident was more recent, wasn't it? Last month, what happened? Yes, very very similar story to Helen's. Um, we also live in the village. I've got three small children, and I walk to school to my local school every day. Um, there's no phasing on these traffic lights. There are four sets of lights. There's no phasing for pedestrians whatsoever. You also, because of the corners, you can't see. You can't really see what's going on. Mm. So you do take your life into your hands when you cross it at any point. But the same incident, we, were, we waited for all the lights to turn red. At that point, I give the command for all my children to walk across the road. Yes. And the same thing, a car that was three cars behind, another one, which is also around the corner, so I couldn't see that happening, um, also came forward and overtook. Now, it was only because of the driver behind that car, who started beeping their horn manically, that we became aware that there was a dangerous situation. So why are these cars, it seems to be three cars behind, is that because they can't see that it's a red traffic light? Not at all, it's because they can't wait, it's because they realise they've just missed the light and it will be a minimum of six minutes before they get to cross the junction and people don't have the patience to wait to be safe. Helen, what would you like to see done? Well, I'd I'd like to see it stop happening, I mean I I know uh, this this episode involving my son was four years ago, Mm. but, but since that time, I have seen it 
virtually daily and I just can't believe that people think it's all right to do it. I mean, jumping a red light is bad enough, but to overtake people that are waiting at a red light, I just do not understand why somebody would Im- even think about doing something like that. And, and I've, I've witnessed it from both sides. I've been sitting in the traffic myself and had people overtake me. And, and it's, well, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Justine, have you gone to the police about this? What, what have they said? Yes, I did. I, um, I went to the police immediately when it happened to me. Helen was a witness to my incident, as yeah. another woman in the village was. We phoned through with a registration number to the police, and to be perfectly blunt, I haven't had a response. Really? Um, uh, in my understanding of this, this is dangerous driving, mm. and it, it's a criminal offence, and, and with witnesses prepared to stand up, it should be pros- pros- prosecuted. Let's have a quick word with Jonathan from uh, the Parish Council. Morning, Jonathan. Yeah. This sounds like, yeah, this sounds like a nightmare. It's been an ongoing problem, obviously, as Helen uh, pointed out, for about uh, three, four years now. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the Parish Council have uh, taken it on board as a a serious campaign. What are you you doing as the Parish Council? uh, What's happening? Yeah, first of all, we uh, we went through education, so we mentioned it in no uncertain terms in the parish magazine for locals. I contacted uh, neighbouring parishes that will also use the two roads onto the A120, uh, asking them to highlight it, and that didn't seem to make any change whatsoever. Well, so no. I contacted uh, Chief Inspector MacDonald at Hertfordshire Police Station, who has been extremely supportive. I also contacted David Lloyd, the new uh, Police and Crime Commissioner. And what have they said? He- what are they going to do? Well, they've actually now, uh, on two occasions so far, uh, one day a week, one before Christmas, and then once the schools returned last week, and have had a uh, good number of police at the junction, and have stopped on the first occasion before Christmas, 11 cars jumping the lights and overtaking, and uh, last week they managed to stop 19, including a school bus, the 351 service from uh, Hartford to Bishop Stortford that was full of children. A school bus full uh, of kids was trying to jump the red lights? It did indeed. It uh, was stopped on two occasions, uh, the last Tuesday, and the police what? returned on Wednesday because they looked at well, it. Well, hang on, if it's, been, if it's been stopped twice, that means you, you would hope that once was enough. That means they've not learnt anything. They, uh, the C.I. McDonald called an emergency meeting last Wednesday at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, which unfortunately I couldn't make, two o'clock or three o'clock, oh. uh, where he called in representatives from Hertfordshire County Council who were responsible for the bus service in as much that uh, they contract the, this bus service out. And they also had the owner of the company yep. uh, into, and uh, as far as I know, there was uh, some very serious words said. Justine, uh, uh, you, 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 your kids nearly got knocked over. Is, is this enough? Is Jonathan doing enough? I think Jonathan is doing an amazing job. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a great parish to live within, to see that people actually act together. Um, but more needs to be done, and we need to keep up the pressure as locals and individuals so the police realise this is an ongoing um, occurrence. The OK, well, listen, we're, we're going to... Thank you very much, Colonel. Helen Walker, Justine Earthrow and Jonathan Forgeham. Um, later on in the show, we'll be speaking to Hearts County Council and the police, and we're still waiting to hear from the bus company. Sounds incredible. A school bus full of kids did it. What, people can't wait a few minutes and they're jumping the red light. Uh, listen, it might sound like a tiny thing, but these tiny things really annoy me. Uh, uh, and you heard then, a couple of times, at least, a few kids could, nearly got knocked over. That can't happen, can it? Do you do the lottery? I don't. I don't, because I'm sensible. Do us a favour. If you do, just add up how much you've spent over the last few years on the lottery, OK? It's a quid. Yeah, it's not anymore. 
It's going up in the autumn by another pound. That'll make it, let me tell you, two pounds. We can cross live now to our unlucky correspondent, Justin Dealey. Justin? Ian, you are so right. I never win anything. Do you I'm do lucky. it? No, I don't, because I'm so unlucky. Good. I don't win anything. Yeah, it's, anything? I've, I've, I've never won anything in my life, ever. <laughs> really? Apart from the heart of my wife. Yeah, it's insane, actually. My, my fiance did win a holiday a couple of years ago. Oh. Well, that was her, not me. Yeah, that did she her. take you? Uh, yes, yeah, she did, which was very nice. Good girl, yes, well yes, done. Snuggled into the old suitcase there. But, uh, yeah, will people be paying this? Because going from £1 to £2, that is quite a jump. I'm in Lee Grove this morning and I've been asking people whether they would pay the increase and this is what they've had to say. Well David, you like many, you buy your lottery ticket once a week for £1. It's going up to £2 later this year. Will you still buy that ticket? I still will, yeah, because um, you've only got to win it once, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) Once and once only. But in saying that, that increase... It's a 100% increase. Is that a bit hard to take for you? I'd say it is a bit too much. £1.50 would be more like it, do you know what I mean? I, st- I still only buy like two or three a week and that's it. But I normally just buy two on a Saturday and that's it, because that's enough. Because it's very unlikely you win it, you know, but it's just worth it to be in it to win it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're not happy about it, but it won't put you off. You'll continue to buy. I'll still continue to buy, yeah, but just the once a week. I don't bother with a Wednesday one anyway. Anthony, you don't buy a lottery ticket every week anyway. Tell us why that's the case. It's the uh, finance of it all. Uh, the way the system works, I don't believe, is in favour of the, of the punter. It's stacked, like most gambling is, mm. towards the management, casinos, etc. So uh, I don't bother. I'd rather keep it in my pocket. It's interesting what you say. If you're saying a pound's too much, it's going up to two pounds, yes. do you think that's going to put so many people off? Yes, indeed, it will. It will. People will take it think, well, what can I do with that £2 rather than a pound? Uh, wife, kids, etc. Well, Bill, it's not long after 6 in the morning. You're already yeah. buying lottery tickets. How uh, many lottery tickets do you buy a week? I buy one on the Euro Lotto of a Thursday, two on a Wednesday, one on a Friday for the Euro Lotto. Yeah. And about three on Saturday. It all sounds great. When was the last time you won anything? <laughs> well before Christmas. Well right. before Christmas. But I think 100% uh, increase is too much. So £2 for yourself for the tickets you think is wrong. That's going to put you off buying as many tickets in the future? I'll buy two of a Saturday. Full stop. Instead of three? Yeah. yeah. And I won't buy any Euro ones or anything like that. But a 100% increase in this day and age when there's people losing their jobs, looking for something to give them hope. I think that's too much of a too much of an Oh, Justin, these poor mm. people! They're, 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 the odds are much worse. The odds, if you buy like a ticket, it's something like fourteen million to one. If you go in a casino <laughs> and put a tenner down on number seven, it's thir- the odds are, th- I think, thirty-seven to one. Quite possibly, quite possibly. I mean, a lot of people there that they, they have certainly got passion for the lottery, but but things are not adding up for me because if they're going to say, okay, later this year yeah. it's going to go from a pound to two pounds, yeah. well, surely the jackpot that should double as well. No. They're saying the average Saturday jackpot will increase from around 4.1 million to 5 million. Now, if you said to me it's going up to 8.2 million, I might just go out and buy that no. ticket. But but that's hardly an increase at all. I think the £10 prize is going up to... Is it going up to 15, I think, or something? Oh, but some, no, of the other, yeah. some of the other prizes are coming down a little bit. Double the money, that's what I want to say. Have you never done it, Justin? Uh, back in 1994, when the lottery launched, yep. I was uh, with my family at home. They used to buy the tickets, and I'd, I'd sit around the TV. It was all very... Very exciting. Yes. By 1995, that kind of died off a bit. Edmunds hosted it, didn't he, first of all? I think he did, yeah. yeah. I mean, in actual fact, here's a local link for you. Yeah, go on. The first ever National Lottery advert was filmed in Albury, in the little post office there. It's a beautiful little village. It was used for, for various TV programmes and films. But the ironic thing is, it was filmed in the post office there, but... 
Justin Dealey there, reporting. <laughs> oh, we'll find his local facts later. We'll find it later. I'm sorry, Justin. Time was against us. We will find out, Justin Dealey. It was a wicked trick, Justin Dealey. We'll come back to you later on and find out your local fact. If you've been doing the lottery for a few years, how much have you spent? And be honest with yourself. Do the maths... And send us a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. I'm already getting abuse for fading down Justin Dealey. Primarily from my producer. Uh, We will get Justin Dealey's facts a little bit later on the show. That is a guarantee. You'll just have to keep listening. It's the latest news and sport. Catherine Boyle. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We'll speak to Justin Dealey before 8 o'clock. We're talking about blockbusters. Yeah, another one's closed down. Not surprised about that one, to be honest. I'm surprised it lasted into the 21st century. When we speak to Justin, we'll get his facts about the lottery as well, I promise you. Other things coming up between now and 8 o'clock. There could be as many as 130 new traveller pitches in Bedfordshire in the future. Residents in Harlington are really unhappy about it. Why do you think there's so much opposition to the plans? What can be done to stop motorists jumping red lights? People in Little Haddam are fed up with it happening where they live. A bus full of school children has been caught twice. It was the driver's fault, not the school children. And how much money do you reckon you spent on the lottery? Be honest. Just do a quick little sum now. If you spend two quid a week, 52 weeks in the year, how many years have you been doing it? Let me know. Send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. But from the autumn, it's going to cost you £2 to buy a ticket. Isn't it just a tax on the poor and the misinformed? Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Later on today, Central Bedfordshire Council will decide how many new traveller pitches it needs to provide over the next 20 years or so. It could be as many as 130. Last month, a list of 34 potential sites to put those pitches on was released by the council, and residents near to them, like these in Harlington, have been speaking out against the plans. I think it's so close to the village. I mean, that it's a big, a big issue because it is right on the doorstep. It's you know, and also you've got to think of stigma. I mean, you know, there is a lot of stigma around traveller sites, but there's a lot of people in there whose voices do need to be heard because they've got personal experience with this, myself included. I was health visitor for the homeless asylum seekers in travellers for in Luton for year and so I know what you know these traveller sites can be like and um, I've been threatened and you know going in on an official basis so it's people's views and emotions should be taken into consideration. And the children of the if this site was to go through the children would have to go to a school the school can't accommodate the children in the village as it is. They're already it's already full. Yes yes so I mean you know that's going to affect our children's education you know and we don't you know, as, as a village, you know, we're, we're the heart of the community, we live in a rural village, we don't want it. I mean, do you feel you're getting enough information? Because that no, was one of the no, problems no, that no, I think... No, absolutely not. A lot of it was found out through Facebook or in a letter, which we were told about the meeting tonight, so we assumed, obviously, to come here and put our views across, but obviously we weren't able to tonight, and it just feels like they're giving us... trying to get us to go away and postpone everything when this needs to be sorted now 
Um, we, we were also told that in a couple of days' time there's going to be a meeting at the uh, Chicksands because apparently there's 30... 34. 34 uh, sites proposed. that are being proposed, you know, and it's... We, we just haven't got all the information, and this is our village, we live here, and we feel as residents we should know all the facts which is why we come here tonight and we haven't got them it also seems to to us that the parish council aren't being given the facts either they only just found out so we're a little bit concerned that maybe things are being put in around the back door mm. if the council's not being given all the information they can't give us all the information and then we're going to miss the boat somewhere in protesting Political reporter Paul Scoynes asking the questions there. Well, Councillor Nigel Young is the executive member for Sustainable Communities in Central Beds and joins me now. Morning, Councillor. Morning, Ian. Lots of people there saying they've only just heard about this. How much information has been given out? Well, we did write to all parish councils in a first round of consultation, uh, which took place some months ago, uh, September through October in 2012. That was a consultation on what should be contained in this gypsy strategy. Uh, but we decided that we would release the uh, long list of possible sites uh, ahead of a, a tour of uh, possible sites by members of Central Bedfordshire Council, which will happen on 22nd and 23rd of January. And it, I'd like, if I could, just to correct something that you said earlier. Uh, the meeting today won't make any decisions. Right. The meeting today is to look at what's called a gypsy and traveller area, uh, area assessment. What does that mean? Well, it means that you look at the number of pitches that you've got now and you assess the need. Uh, and that's how we've arrived at the numbers you've been using, 130 new pitches over the next 20 years. Will people get a chance to, to, to speak? Absolutely, they will. In the meeting today? Uh, they can speak at the meeting today about the way that we're arriving at the number of pitches, but they'll get another chance to speak on the 28th of February, which is right. actually the meeting where members of Central Bedfordshire Council, the Scrutiny Committee, uh, will choose a number of sites from the long list of 34, and they'll, they'll cut that down to around 13 to 15 okay. sites. And your recommendations today, they will be taken up by the council, is that right? Well, the recommendations today from scrutiny are about whether we've got the gypsy uh, and traveller area assessment right. So it's, we, we, we're pretty confident that we have. And so that will be taken up by the council? Again. OK. So, so, what, so why are uh, members of the public who will be affected by this, why are they having to wait so long to have their say? People are obviously want to have their say. 250 people turned up uh, at a parish meeting in Harlington, yet they can't speak till the end of February. Well, they, they can speak to their parish council any time that they want. They want to speak to you. Well, they can come and speak to the scrutiny committee on, on uh, February the 20th. But that's a, that's a long way away, isn't it? Well, the, People the are frustrated and they want to have their say now, well, and rightfully so. Let's understand, we're in a statutory process. We have a statutory obligation to provide uh, accommodation or sites for gypsies and travellers. Of course you are, but also you, you have a, a responsibility to listen to um, the, the points made by the people who will be affected by this. Well, Why is it taking so that. long? We, we've had hundreds of representations, and we have a list of speakers today speaking on the GTAA, Gypsy and Traveller Area Assessment, and I have no doubt we'll have a substantial number of speakers on the 28th of February. We're not going to rush this. We are going to give everybody every opportunity to be consulted are you going to listen to what people say 
we're going to listen, but we're going to act within the statutory obligation that okay. we have as laid out in the planning framework S- by the government. So you're going to listen, but potentially ignore? No, we're not going to ignore anybody. Well, you, you, you're, you're not going to... If, if everybody comes into this meeting and says, we don't want this, you're, you're not going to do that, are you? So you're well, going to ignore that? We're not going to break the law. Right, but you're going to ignore people's wishes. We're not going to ignore people's wishes. We're going to take people's observations into account, and we're going to follow the laws laid out by the government. Why are so many sites being proposed over the next 20 years? It's, n- it's nearly twice as many pitches as there are in the whole county of Buckinghamshire. Uh, well, I don't know anything about pitches in Buckinghamshire, and I don't know where they're at with their okay, well, the, the, traveller allocation. Why are I so many sites? Di- why are so many sites being proposed then? Well, for, I suppose for the same reason that so many houses are being proposed in the development strategy, because we have an area assessment which establishes need. When will we know more? You will know more on the 28th. Well, you'll know something today, but you'll know a great deal more on the 28th of February. It'll then go to executive on the 19th of March, Mm. full council on the 18th of April. It'll then go out for consultation in May, June for six weeks. It will then go forward to the Secretary of State uh, with all of those observations recorded. And there will be a public examination in January 2014 at which anyone can speak to the inspector. Wow, in 2014? Yes. That's a year away. Yes, it is. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That's the statutory process. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? But people are fru- but 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 councillor, with all the greatest respect, it may be the statutory process, but people are frustrated and are upset and are confused by but this. Why? And having to wait a year, having to wait a year yes. to have their say is ridiculous. No, no, they're having their say between now and the twenty eighth of February. They're having their say in for six weeks in May June. They can speak at the executive. They can speak at scrutiny. They can speak at full council. And they can speak to the inspector. There are uh, n- numerous opportunities for the public to have their say. If the travellers want more pitches, yes, will their views be taken into account? Yes. And will you act on those those wishes? The same as we'll act on the public's. Well, what does that views. mean? It means that we'll listen to the entire community. Right. The, the, so, the, so if the, the residents... Travellers, Ian, yes. are part of the community. Of course they are. And I'm not... So not, I'm, not I'm trying them. to put both sides here. I'm just saying that if, if the residents who are there now yep. want less pitches, you'll listen but you won't do anything. If the travellers want more pitches, you'll listen and you'll maybe do something. Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm, no, I'm asking, the, que- I'm asking I, the question. I'm, I'm asking I'm, you to I'm, clarify. Well, I'll answer your question, Ian. Please do. I will listen. The council will listen. Yeah to the views of the settled community right. and the views of the Gypsy and Traveller community. You did we say... We collate all those views right. and we will put them to the Secretary of State. Okay. You did, you did say... Decide. You did say you wouldn't... If everybody in the community didn't want those pitches, you wouldn't act on those wishes. I didn't say that at all. I, I do apologise, I thought you did. No. Are you sure? I you said, said that You said you wouldn't break the law. Look, Ian. No, I'm trying to get this get, cleared up because this is this is no, absolutely clear. Please do because it's not very we clear at the moment. We will collate the observations right. from the settled community and the Gypsy and Traveller community. Right. We will put them on our website during this very long period of examination and consultation. Yes. Then we will put all those observations to the Secretary of State, and he will okay. decide. Uh, where and when those pictures? I must are be put being. I must be being so stupid. Let me just th- th- go through this again one more time because I want to make sure I've got this right. Because sure. obviously I'm missing something. If the residents who are there now say they don't want the pictures, yes, what will happen? We will put those observations to the secretary, and the, and the pictures will. But the pictures will still get made. 
We, the, the total number of pitches will get made okay. in around 13 sites across the whole okay. central Bedford. So, so, so you'll, you will do the pitches even if the residents don't want them. If the travellers want more pitches, is there a chance they might get more pitches? It depends on the, the Gypsy and Traveller Area Assessment. We assess okay. need correctly okay. uh, based on a formula which has been through inspection. And these pitches, how close are they to the residential areas already? Well, the one in Harlington is, is I think, as one of, your, you, you, one of uh, the, the residents said, is on the edge of the village. It's actually on the Flittick Road, right. which I guess is about half a mile to a mile from right. the edge of the village. And are, are you happy to have the pitches half a mile away from your house? Well, I, I've got a very substantial number of pitches very close to my house at Jockey Farm on the A5. I live on the south side of Dunstable. Lovely. And uh, it doesn't cause me the slightest problem. Excellent. Thank you very much for coming on, Councillor Nigel Young there, uh, Executive Member for Sustainable Communities in Central Bedford. What do you think? I'm trying to see both sides of this, and I can see both sides of it. I can see how it's frustrating for both parties involved in this, to travel a community, and the residents who will be affected by this. I can see also as well how it's frustrating that if you are a resident affected by this, or if you are a traveller, it's going to take ages for you to have your say. You can't really have your say in the meeting today. That's not what this meeting is about. You have to wait till the 28th of February for both sides. So, I want to speak to you. Two parties here. The travelling community, if you're listening, 08459 455 555. Does this plan go far enough for you? Are you happy with what it looks like, what looks like is, is going to be happening? And the residents who live there now, if you're listening to this... 08459 455 555. What do you think? You happy with what the councillor said there? Now, a Hertfordshire man is taking legal action against Luton Borough Council after his wife died of an asbestos-related illness. An inquest established that 64-year-old Hazel MacDonald, who was a teacher, came into contact with the dangerous fibres during her work. He says it happened while she was working at Denbury Primary School and is looking to claim damages from the local education authority. Well, we'll be speaking to the solicitor and the council in about an hour's time, but before that, uh, her husband, Ian, from Harmperton, is in the studio now. Morning, Ian. Good morning. Still freezing cold out there, apparently. Very cold. Not looking forward to going out later on. Let's talk about Hazel. When did you first discover that she was ill? Probably about... Her diagnosis was uh, uh, found about 2010. Mm. Around about middle of the year, um, after suffering for, we were getting the sort of like her back hurts, her chest hurts, uh, from about 2008. Right. But it was really, the diagnosis was confirmed in 2010. And, and so how had it been affected her? I'm assuming there was coughing, you say there was backache? So it, it was coughing, there was backache, um, in the, over the, sort of like the right chest area. Mm. And she went, went to various GPs. And had received something like about half a dozen different diagnoses, from sore muscles to pneumonia, uh, because mm. they heard water, liquid in the lungs. Um, and then she went into the hospital and to the L&D. They did a bit of exploratory work. Uh, they must have suspected something, because uh, we then went to Harefield, and we had an operation to drain out the right lung. Mm. Uh, they did a biopsy, and they found these growths. When you got the news, how did you and Hazel react? Shock. Mm. The news came to us like a shotgun. We weren't given any sort of prepared work. You, the, the doctor just came straight into the, the, the room and said, I'm sorry, you have this particular bug, um, and it's terminal. 
Wow, he just came out with it like that. She did, yeah. She did. Yeah, she just came straight out with it. And then she walked out. Just left us. Uh, horrible experience. When you got home that day, what, what, what did you... I'm trying to imagine what would happen if I found out that my wife had, had something similar, and I, I, I can't imagine it. What did you do when you got home? We just sat down. Um, I very rarely heard my wife cry. Um... And the first question that you start to ask is, how long? You know, and nobody would tell you. Uh, so I then started, you know, phoning around and I thought, well, we might have four years. You know, anything up to that. Uh, as it happened, we only had about two. Mm. But um, you just pick it up and then you do your exploratory. Hazel went a little stage further. She... Uh, communicated with Luton Council to advise them of her predicament, her di- because she had retired two years early. Mm. She retired in 2008. Uh, and so she you're was, thinking you're going to have this fantastic retirement where you get to spend exactly. some time together, do all the things you wanted to do, and yeah. then you get this. You know, we'd gone, uh, typical with other people, we'd gone through life saving, scrimping, uh, uh, having very few holidays and things like that, and we thought, wow, we both retired now's our opportunity mm. um, but it wasn't to be how did uh, uh, did her health deteriorate over the, those two years I don't, I've, I've got no idea how this illness would affect someone so did, I'm assuming it got worse it gets worse uh, they combat it by giving you morphine and stuff like that to take the pains away but the, it can only it's, you climb a hill you reach the top of the hill you, you're pain free mm. but then you very quickly slip down again mm. um, and we were on something something ridiculous, like about 20 different tablets a day, you know, several times a day, mm. you know. Uh, and you treat each day on its own. You know, you try and do things that you know you won't be repeating. Like, I occasionally go to our favourite caravan sites in Clacton. Mm. And uh, I, you see her by the water edges as you walk it's hard of course it is you obviously still miss her a lot mm-hmm. this is how do you why do you think this is linked to the asbestos why do I think it's linked because all the surgeons because she had two major operations she had the the fluid taken out of the cavity and then she had the lining of the lungs removed where this particular asbestos bug settles in. Mm. All the doctors have told me that it was definitely asbestos um, that causes this. It, this particular bug is only caused by asbestos, I was told. Mm. Um, I didn't know there was asbestos anywhere in the school. Uh, certainly uh, up, up until the, the diagnosis date. I then, um, my wife, when she communicated with Luton Council to tell them that there was, to warn them to, so they could take corrective action, they actually told her that they knew that there was. Um, and we said, well, can we, is there any documentation or anything like that? And they said, well, we'll send you copies of the health and safety executive reports and we'll highlight the areas of concern with the felt tip. So we received about 15 or so of these reports. Mm. 
going back to 1999. Mm. We couldn't go back further because Luton weren't responsible for the, the school's maintenance before then. And uh, it was interesting. I mean, in those reports, there were photographs of the, particularly the loft areas of this particular school uh, where there was asbestos debris laying on, on, the, on the floor area of the loft. Ian, what, what do you want to see done? I really want to see uh, an absolute confirmation that that particular school is cleaned up. Um, I'm mortified that it was allowed to carry on so long in a, in a filthy state. I've read in the reports that there were some areas of the lofts which couldn't gain, they couldn't gain access to. I just don't know why on earth in this day and age they didn't spray them with foam so as to stabilise everything. Um... I just want the area cleaned up. I'm just I'm mortified. I was t- there was a formula for every teacher that succumbs to this. There's like about eight or nine or ten, and I haven't got anything to substantiate that. But that's, t- that's too many kids. And if it takes 20-odd years to, to actually be identified, there's mm. a lot of kids walking around with a lot of chest con problems. Ian, have you got children? Do you and Hazel yes. have children? What, what, how, what have you got? I've got a girl and a boy. 64 years, she was, was when she passed. It's no age. How are you and your, your family coping? My boy with lives with me. Right. My, my girl, who's two years older than, than him, Karina, uh, uh, lives literally four hours down the road. Okay. Um, I've got two grandchildren, um, and they're keeping me going. Yeah. Uh, I'd hate to think of a situation whereby I didn't have that kind of support. How old are the grandchildren? Uh, four and two. There you go. So that's, that's the gift, isn't it? The, the, Nightmares. The, <laughs> I've got boys who are three and one, so I've got, I've got that age gap. And they're hard work, aren't they? They are. I bet they make a fuss of granddad, though, don't they? Uh, they do. do, they they do. Cli- are they climbing all over you at that Exactly, moment? yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to clear the house up, but for every no point. toy that goes out, two come in. There's no point. You, you can't <laughs> clean it with them. You, you want to wait till they get to the age when you can get them to tidy up after yeah. themselves. It will happen. Listen, we're going to speak to the council later on, Ian. What, what would you like us to say to them? Clean the school. Guarantee to the, the general public that there are no asbestos traces at all. If they can't get at them in the lofts, because a lot of these schools have got ceilings and they've got no entrance, exits or entrances into the lofts and they have to make them, make sure that the areas are cleaned or sealed. I mean, Hazel often used to comment on dust in the air mm. in the sunlight as it came through the windows. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit appalled because I, I don't know this for certain, but I'm pretty sure that if there's asbestos in areas, there has to be big, rather large notices pinned on doors and things like that. It doesn't appear. They don't appear in schools. And I don't think the teachers or the staff or the parents of the kids were alerted to asbestos in that school. And yet the coroner told me he went back to 1970 in his, in his investigations mm. and he said there was evidence then that there was asbestos. Ian, listen, I, I really appreciate coming in. It's obviously not easy to talk about uh, uh, losing Hazel. You've got your grandkids. Yeah. Make a fuss of them. I will. Don't let them climb over you too much, for goodness sakes. Make sure you get some rest. Uh, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you very much, and I wish okay. you the best of luck. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye-bye. Uh, uh, Ian there will be speaking later on uh, to the council and finding out about that. On the trains, we had delays of 30 minutes on the East Coast. 
Sophie? At King's Cross this morning, moving fairly slowly as well on First Capital Connect services and Greater Anglia and First Capital Connect again. That's the latest. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. And Sophie, is it really that cold in your studio? You've tweeted a picture of you all in in big woolies with a a, a scarf and a woolly hat. It's so cold. It's so cold, and I'm near the air conditioning unit as well. It's on. (laughs) Stop whinging and get on with the travel. Okay. Thank you very much, Sophie Tyler there. Uh, and thanks again to Ian Cunt for coming in. Who, who could not help but be moved by that story? I was almost in tears there. Uh, very brave of him uh, to come in and talk about his wife, Hazel, uh, like that. It's 7.30. Time for the news and sport now. Here's Catherine Boyle. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. Do you know what I use to scrape the ice off of my window? We were talking all morning, the best way to keep the ice off your window. Yeah. And uh, I haven't got a... I'm not going to get a cover. I'm not going to put newspapers on. I've not got a, a Jaguar, which would give me a heated wind, windscreen. <laughs> Do you know what I use? to scrape the ice off. An old cassette box? No. For, for Christmas, someone gave me um, uh, a Cherry Cherry Christmas, Neil Diamond Christmas songs. <laughs> and it was, it was like an afterthought, I think. And I've, I've genuinely <laughs> been using that. Have you? Yeah. Well, I'm glad it came in handy with something. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. That's true. Boyle gave me this half-hearted present when I gave her a Christmas present. She's like, oh, I didn't know we were doing presents. Yeah, I told everybody I was doing Christmas presents. And the only person who got me a Christmas present was my producer, Laura. got me a wicked tub of uh, sweets, which I've almost finished. I know, they're, sti- they're still going on. <laughs> they're all a big, one big sticky sweet at the bottom, but uh, I'm going to have those bad boys. And uh, Catherine got, gave me, oh, look, I've, I've, I got you a Neil Diamond Christmas CD. She hadn't. It was about three years old. But it makes an excellent um, ice scraper. Coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show, what can be done to stop motorists jumping red lights? People in Little Haddam are fed up with it happening where they live. A bus full of school children has been caught twice. Well, I'll be speaking to Hearts County Council in the next few minutes. And Blockbuster, blo- wow, what a difference. Blockbuster Video has become the latest high street retailer to fall into the hands of the administrator. Will you miss the stores if they disappear from your high street? 08459. Four double five, five double five. But the main thrust of today's show, amidst all this doom and gloom, is how the hell do you get ice off of your windscreen? And but by the way, never scrape it off when you're not wearing gloves. I always think oh, I won't bother to put a glove on; it'll be fine. Oh, it's like um um. The, the, have you ever read the, the, David Niven wrote an excellent book? The actor David Niven wrote one of the best show business biography autobiographies of all time allow me to indulge for a second the moon's a balloon it's brilliant if you've not read it you'll get it in a charity shop 50p it's great and he tells the story of how he was skiing in switzerland and i don't know how this happened but he got frostbite on his ding dang yes he did i don't know how it happened and it's true it's a true story so I can say it. It's, it's a medical term, by the way. It's Latin. Uh, and he had to rush to a hotel, order a glass of brandy, and dip, dip it in the brandy to heat it up, to stop it getting frostbite and dropping off. Anyway, it's, it feels like that when I scrape it up. I'll move on, shall I? Doris, it's, it's Stephen, sorry to talk about David Niven's ding-dang before we get to you. I do apologise. Okay. That's not the done thing, is it, really? Although I bet... Anyway, so Doris, tell us, what's your tip for getting rid of ice and frost on a windscreen? A raw potato. No, sorry, sorry, this isn't how to make a soup or how to make a stew. It's how to get rid of frost on a windscreen. Yeah, well, my husband was a fishmonger. Yes. Before he went up the station to get his fish, he used to cut a potato in half, rub it on the windscreen, and he said it used to do the job. He would rub a potato? This is... Raw potato. 
Right, okay. What okay, what we need we need someone to test this. Now, where are we now? Seven thirty five. Dear listener, I'm stay there, Doris. I'm speaking to you, dear listener. Have you got a raw potato? Have you got a frosty window? Have you got a telephone? If you do, I need your help. So Doris, just do they cut the potato in half? Yeah. And then they rub it on the window and it will get rid of the frost. Yeah, that's what he used to say. And did you did you actually see this happen? No. He went at uh, six o'clock in the morning, oh. I was in bed. Oh, you forget that. <laughs> you forget that. You don't want to go out and see him rubbing a raw potato on his windscreen. No, no I'm afraid I'm a widow. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Doris. But uh, are you sure he just wasn't winding you up with that nonsense? No, he used to say it worked. OK. Well, Doris, listen, thank you very much for, for your call. Nice to talk to you. I, I need you to... I need you now. OK? Dear listener, very often I, I, I ask you to help me, and, and boy, do I need it now. I need someone with a frosty car and a potato. Is that you? Don't think, oh, I won't do it, someone else will do it. They won't. I need you to do it. Go and get your potato, cut it in half, give us a call, 08459 455 555. Go out to your frosty car window. Let's do a little bit of science, live on the radio. Uh, Tracy Milton Keane says, cover your, your windscreen in salt before bed. You've got to be joking. Have you seen the price of salt these days? Uh, oh, look at you, anonymous texter with lots of money. Clear out your garage and put your car in it at night. What do you, what do you, what do you think I am? Prince Charles or something? Angus Deaton? The, the, the Richard Branson? I've not, I've not got a garage. 08459 455 555. I need someone with a potato, a frosty car and a phone. Is it you? Now, moving on. Residents in a Hertfordshire village fear a child could be killed before action's taken to change a dangerous road junction. They say motorists regularly jump red lights in the centre of Little Haddam. The road bends sharply and narrows into a single carriageway over a bridge, which is hemmed in by listed buildings. Helen Walker's family have had to cope with the traffic on a regular basis. I had an episode here about four years ago when my middle son was six and we were waiting to cross the roads at the traffic lights on the way to school one morning. I watched the lights turn to red. I told him and his older brother to cross the road to go quickly, and as he ran out, as I told him to cross the road, a car came from two or three cars back from the lights, past two or three stationary vehicles, overtaking them against the red light, and missed him by about six inches. Immediately, of course, I shouted out to him and... uh, you know, made sure he was okay. He had his wits about him and he had pulled back from the car and so on. How upsetting was the whole experience? It made me very angry because my children, as with anybody else's children, should be able to walk to school safely. And I honestly could not believe that somebody would overtake a stationary vehicle at a red light just to get where they needed to be a little bit quicker. My name is Justine Earthroll. I live in Little Haddam. The road is single carriageway and on the side roads, the phasing of the traffic lights is very slow. So at best, you can get six or seven cars through at a time. And people who know the A120 will think about stretches where it's straight and fairly easy to drive but this isn't the case in Little Haddam That's right, yeah, with four sets of traffic lights all phased separately, it's a real headache for drivers and I really appreciate that but it's also a real headache for us as residents trying to cross that road on a you know, twice daily basis at least. Not long ago, about uh, two weeks before Christmas, we were crossing the road we waited to be safe, and that's myself and my three young children, we waited for the traffic lights all to turn red and then proceeded to cross the road and a car on the Little Haddam to Much Haddam Road came out and overtook three other cars who were at stationary at the red lights and almost hit my daughter. And at that point, I began to believe what I'd been told anecdotally when I arrived here, that it would take a child to die before they would do something about the traffic lights. 
and the road problems at Little Haddam. How upsetting was that? Very, very distressing. Um, Six weeks on, I'm still shaking when I think about it. My 10-year-old daughter's life was in jeopardy. And in September, I have to face her leaving home on her own to go to school, catching public transport from the junction and having to worry that she will have to make those judgments on her own without a parent there to help her, along with all the other children in the village who suffer this every day. There's no help whatsoever. There are no pelican crossings, zebra crossings. There aren't even cameras to catch the errant drivers when they're going past. No, no help is given to us whatsoever. I'm Amanda Davey. I live at Ford End in Little Haddam. I actually witnessed the account that Justine spoke of. I was the car behind the one that pulled out. We approached the lights as they turned red. The two cars in front stopped and then one in front of me then pulled up and decided that he didn't want to wait and overtook the two cars as Justine was crossing the road with her three small children. The houses around the bridge are actually listed buildings so hence we cannot widen the bridge it is what it is historically it's always been there so it will always be there it can't be changed so probably a bypass is the only way to get around this how do you feel about it when you set off do you dread it every day well thankfully i don't actually have to cross the road because i go round the corner but i see it every day and it's very narrow on the bend and it's always frightening if we phase the lights so that the residents on the smaller roads had more time it would mean that we would then be used as a rat run probably for the main a120 so really the only option is a bypass well, the council responsible for transport on Hertfordshire County Council is Stuart Pyle. He's on the line now. Morning, Stuart. Good morning, Ian. Why is this such a difficult junction? Well, you have to go back really for quite a, a large number of years when there weren't any traffic lights there. And, of course, the problem then was that two HGVs simply couldn't get through the junction at the same time. So traffic lights were first introduced in 1974... Um, and of course that improved that situation but did it then increase the the congestion at the junction particularly along the a120 but why but why is it such, I, I, sorry i don't understand why is it such a, a a dangerous junction now why are people feeling the desire to to jump these lights i, I think this is a, a fairly recent thing this hasn't been happening um extensively over the years and, and the police do regularly enforce we've heard since uh, the last four years totally unacceptable driver behavior of course yeah we, we we've got a, a story that goes back four years and apparently it goes back further than that yes I, I think what's what's begun to happen is the frustration with people uh particularly but though these, this junction is a particularly difficult junction and one that we've been looking at since the 1970s right what what can we do let's 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 find a solution now what well, can we do in, in 2006 we began to look at uh, seriously look again at, at a, a preferred option for a bypass and, and yep. eventually that was uh sorted with a northern bypass that, that was the, the the most acceptable to people in fact uh, the, the decisions of this sort of thing are very contentious and and public opinion there was completely split of course um, but at that time, the scheme uh, was costed to be some £21 million, pounds, and, right. and that's money that really we don't have. So is the bypass happening, yes or no? Issue. Is the bypass happening? Uh, no. OK, right, right, so let's put that to one moment, side. The, the, there isn't that sort of funding around Stuart. the government to be able to do it. Stuart, I don't want problems, I want solutions. You and I are going to find a solution today. So the okay, bypass but, isn't happening. But, what, can, what else can we do? What other options the are there? The latest situation is that the government has decided that funding will be devolved down from what they would normally spend on major projects like this down to us and it will be down to a board called the local transport body mm. that body consisting of uh, the lep the local enterprise partnership the county council uh, network rail the district councils and so on and so that funding will start to to come down to us in about 2015 right what's that funding for that funding is for major projects, and I have to tell you that, that Little Haddon Bypass is one of the major projects so on. on that list. But, but, so but, but we are listen. looking at it seriously again. Stuart, 
I'm getting I'm getting confused. You said the bypass wasn't happening. Now you say it might happen, but that no, but it won't get no, approved until no way that this bypass could okay. be funded. Okay. Are there are you telling me the bypass is the only option that we we've got here? Uh, it is the only option to solve you're, all of these problems. You're yet. joking, really? Yes, there is no other way. There's no other way no. to make this junction safer. No, pedestrian the, crossing. The buildings on the corners cannot right. be moved, and we have seriously looked about that. Right. Actually, physically moving those buildings, it cannot be done. Let's have a look at the worst case scenario. A little kid who gets knocked over and killed, right? Mm. What happens then? I'm afraid that that really doesn't trigger any any action on 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 that junction at the moment. You have to remember this is not a normal traffic light junction. It's actually controlled by microprocessors. When the, what they do is that they change the way the junction works. So if congestion begins to appear on the A120 or any of the other roads, then it switches to a capacity mode to be able to get traffic through quickly. And, and generally speaking, in peak times, the green lights stay on the A120 for quite a considerable amount of time. And when that the congestion is relieved, then the other junctions okay. begin to kick in. So it's, and we're monitoring this junction from our, Literally our control centre. no idea what you're saying now. Uh, we spoke to Helen and, and Justine earlier on, OK? They have yeah. both got kids, and yeah. they have both got stories of their kids almost being knocked down by drivers who are jumping these lights there. W- yeah. What's your message to them? My message to them is that the police are regularly enforcing that we are looking at it. Uh, and it's one of those things that if people break the law then, you know, it's very difficult for us as, as county uh, authorities to be able to do too much. So the police have been... They've been to the police, and the police, they, they've reported number plates and things like that, and the police yeah. haven't done anything with that information. Um, well, I, well, I wouldn't know about that. I wouldn't want to comment on what the police do, but when they do well, take number it's, plates, it's true. they do enforce. Uh, and we do the same okay. uh, when people jump and so you're, mow down our school crossing. Your, your message to, to, to the, the, the people that we spoke to earlier on, who've, who've both been in, in serious incidents where their kids were nearly hit, knocked down, is, sorry, there's nothing we can do. There is nothing at the moment. Wow. We are seriously looking at this wow. function again. Um, but it's the, and you might make a decision in 2015. In the whole of the county. Okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, Stuart Pyle. There, uh, he's uh, the, res- the councillor responsible for transport in Hertfordshire County Council. If you know the junction, I'll be honest, I don't know it. That's why I'm asking people to describe it to me. But we have had some amazing stories of, of kids almost being knocked down, uh, and the the, the councillor there, responsible for transport, says nothing we can do. I'm afraid, just have to kind of keep our fingers crossed. I'm shocked by that. After HMV went into administration on Tuesday, well, yesterday, it carried on. The DVD and video games company Blockbusters collapsed into administration after almost 25 years on the high street. It's the latest firm to see its business slip away to online retailers. It's more than 500 stores and employs more than 4,000 staff across the UK. Uh, many Blockbusters in the three counties, Stevenage, St Albans, High Wycombe, Aylesbury. Well, Brian Roberts is an analyst for Planet Retail. Uh, Brian, what's your reaction to this? This was almost inevitable, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a long time coming, really. I think the, you know, the, their particular business model, you know, the renting out of uh, DVDs has been under huge pressure. So lots of different factors. Really. We've had the rise of, um, you know, subscription to, you know, perhaps, you know, Sky Movie channels and so on. Then um, the introduction of services like uh, sort of uh, online-based postal rental um, services like Lo- uh, Love Film. And then uh, obviously the latest development has been the advent of digital downloads and live streaming from people like netflix and also itunes because blockbuster it. blockbuster did do the the postal thing where you paid four quid a month or whatever and you got as many you, you know you could have dvds out but i'm so surprised that they weren't one of the first to do what netflix did you know where you, you, you block you can stream blockbuster films online it seemed obvious that they should be doing that 
Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously, yeah, hindsight is great, and I, I totally agree with you, but yeah, and in, in the same way, HMV should have been more aggressive mm. moving into, um, you know, downloads and online retailing itself. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of these um, struggling businesses were very slow to catch on to the opportunities of online and uh, digital delivery, and I think, you now we're seeing the result of that uh, now. And I think, you know, one of the key problems with Blockbuster really was one of uh, awareness, because one of the immediate reactions on social media yesterday was, you know, I didn't know they were still going. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We, we, we had Jessup's HMV, Blockbuster, who's next? Um, obviously, we also had Comet just before Christmas. Yeah, of well. course. So I think, um, yeah, anyone who's exposed, or many companies who are exposed to the, you know, technology or entertainment sectors are, are clearly going to be vulnerable. But I think um, there's, there's you know, vulnerable retailers across uh, lots of different sectors, really. So uh, possibly a few fashion chains are looking um, fairly weak at the moment. Anyone exposed to the household goods market, so furniture retailers, because the housing market is, is so weak as well. So there's going to be, um, sadly, I think there's several more yeah. casualties as the year progresses. My Money's on Smith's. No, Smith doesn't know what it is. It's a mess in there. Um, yeah, certainly from a shopper point of view, WH uh, Smith's is not the most uh, pleasant of experiences, and it's you know it hasn't been performing incredibly strongly in terms of sales growth. But um, beneath all that, they've cut costs very um, aggressively, and they're actually uh, growing profitability. So actually, you know, uh, much to everyone's surprise, they're one of the strongest performers wow. and look, looks uh, safe for many years to come. Would you like a bar of chocolate with that for a pound? That's, that's the thing. Uh, Brian, listen, thank you very much. Brian Roberts, analyst for Planet Retail. Uh, well, uh, BBC Three Counties, a video of VHS and Betamax correspondent Justin Dealey has been outside Blockbusters in Luton this morning. Justin, what's been going on? Gotta love a good Blockbuster video. Um, uh. But, yeah, he said, I'm a big fan. I have to say, I'm a big fan. As you know, I don't really move the times just like hmv four thousand jobs at risk but you can still use your gift cards well, we spoke about this with hmv a few days ago if you have a gift voucher for hmv yep. they're not taking those if you've got one for blockbuster they will still take them so i'm here in lee grave this morning i'm right outside blockbuster video and i've been asking people locally would they miss this store and this is what they've had to say well here's debbie who is a movie fan debbie when was the last time that you used your local blockbuster here Probably about five years ago. Five years ago. That's right. It's a long time. Why five years ago? Why not recently? Um, I just find the prices too expensive. You can actually you could pick up a, a DVD cheaper. So and also have Sky TV. So no need for it, in my opinion. So you won't miss it at all then. Not at all. No. No. The last time I used it was five years, but it is a yes. great shame though. HMV and now Blockbuster. It is. It's a well-known name, well-known brand. Um, yeah, it's just just a shame. It's you know what, what's going to happen tomorrow. Who else? Well, Richard, you have a blockbuster video in Lee Grave here. If it does go, will you miss it at all? No, I don't think I really will, to be honest. It's, although it's convenient, it's uh, not something that you use every day because you can get exactly the same thing elsewhere and sometimes at a cheaper price. It's a fairly big store. When was the last time you used Blockbuster here? It would be just before Christmas. Um, I was just walking past with my little girl and we just called in on the off chance. So on average, every year, how often would you use that store? Three, four times a year. And that's it? That's it, I'm afraid. So everything for you would be done online because it's like everyone's been saying, it's the convenience, you can order it online and there it comes through your door. Exactly, exactly. That's it, it to, to precisely. Well, Emily, we can see Blockbuster Video just across the road, that iconic brand. When was the last time that you used your local store here? It uh, must have been quite a few years ago when I was quite young. Um, I do remember going in there, but it hasn't been for a few years now. And why is that? I think everything's just online. It's more convenient, it gets delivered to your door. I think that's what a lot of things are like nowadays. But it is a massive store. What about friends and family of yours? You're not going to miss it. Will your friends and family miss it? Um, I know some of my family use it, but um, probably not my immediate family, really. 
So, so on the whole, no great loss really? No, not really. <laughs> Everything's online, so it's more convenient. It's been hard trying to find anybody who's going to miss it. Steve, you are going to miss Blockbuster Video. Tell us why you're going to miss it so much. Well, it's, it's just dead handy because I live across the road and I, I like to rent DVDs from these guys and I don't have internet, mm. you know, and also they, they sell, they have a good sale on all the time. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people say to me, internet shopping, that's the convenience. You haven't got the internet and the convenience for you is living opposite. So it's yeah. going to be a great loss, isn't it? Uh, it is indeed, yes. Justin, the last DVD I rented from Blockbuster was Misery, the, the, the Stephen oh, King film, James Calm, yes. wonderful. Yes. Now, the, the problem I had was I showed it to my wife and it gets up to the bit where he's, he's strapped to the bed yeah. and Kathy Bates smashes his foot. Sorry to be so graphic, <laughs> but she, she, she hobbles him, basically. Yeah, but, and it got to that bit and I was saying to my wife, you're going to love this bit. Yeah. You're going to love this bit. And obviously that bit had been watched so many times, the DVD froze. <laughs> Do you know what? It's interesting you should say that because I was having that exact conversation. Yeah, good morning to you, sir. Um, I was having that exact conversation with, with somebody a moment ago saying one of the last films that I got from Blockbuster actually froze in the middle. Yeah. But I used to love going in. I used to play in a game. I'm, I'm terrible for, for, for timing. Yeah. And I'd always drop the DVDs back late. So when I went back in next time, would I get the fine? Ooh. A little game, a little bit. Are we going to get the fine today? Yes or no? A little but bit out, of chicken. Outside the store today, the big uh, signs in the window, they do say sale. Trading will continue as normal whilst a buyer is tried to, to be sought somewhere. But is anybody going to come forward and try and buy a blockbuster video? That's just, the big question. Justin, very quickly, I owe an apology. Earlier on, just, just for, for laughs and giggles, yes. I was very rude and I faded you down when you were telling us your story. Yes. Uh, your lottery story. Tell us a story. I'm sitting away from, I'm away from the faders, Justin. I can't touch okay. you. Okay. As I was saying earlier on, the National Lottery, the first ever advert for the National Lottery was filmed locally in Albury. It's a gorgeous village. It was filmed there in the post office but the ironic thing is they never sold lottery tickets there at that moment in time but yes the first <laughs> ever was advert was filmed locally it was worth the wait that was yeah. good and by the way mm. uh, you might need to go and buy a potato uh, why is that just just go and get a potato oh uh, you're on about the windscreens aren't you yeah which yes. no, no one's daring to call in with it so we might get used to it. is that all right <laughs> it's fine by me see you later on justin daily excellent stuff as always He's worth his weight in gold. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Oh, sorry. Uh, 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 yes? Do you want me to go in the bin? Yeah, would you mind? Oh, God, yeah, hang on. No, I, I apologise. What I did there was I, I turned my microphone up instead of hitting a button. I know. Okay. It's crazy. Uh, just right. just, just settling a guest down and, you know... Um, Anything? The retailer John Lewis has reported a rise of nearly 15% in sales in the run-up to Christmas. This shows how long we've Oh, for goodness. No, no, go away. Oh. Rubbish. In the run-up to Christmas? Wow. The news bin did not serve its purpose then. It let us down. Terribly. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Cold, isn't it? We're looking for someone, I know... In all the things that are going on in the world, and we're talking about this nonsense, we're looking for someone with a frosty car and a raw potato. Why? Well, earlier on in the show, Doris and Stevenage suggested using that to clear your windscreen. I don't believe it in the slightest. Her, she says that her husband always swore by it. So, raw potato, frosty car, 08459 455 555. On slightly more serious fronts, there could be as many as 130 new traveller pitches in Bedfordshire in the future. Residents in Harlington are really unhappy about it. Why do you think there is so much opposition to the plans? 
People in Little Haddam are fed up with motorists jumping red lights. A bus full of school children has been caught twice. Hearts County Council say there is nothing they can do. Well, we'll hear from the police to see if they think that there is. You can get in touch on facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll try and get through this without coughing if I can. Later on today, Central Bedfordshire Council will discuss how many traveller pitches it needs to provide over the next 20 years or so. It could be as many as 130. Well, last month, a list of 34 potential sites to put those pitches on was released by the council, and residents near to them have been speaking out against the plans. Well, Cliff Cadona is a traveller who stayed at sites in Bedfordshire and his family here. He's also a spokesperson for the Gypsy and Traveller community. Morning, Cliff. Good morning. Cliff, we'll come to you in a second, because in the studio, I'm joined by... Wendy, not her real name. Uh, she lives in Harlington and was at a packed parish council meeting this week. She's concerned about the proposed site near to her. Morning, Wendy. Morning. Wendy, w- what are your worries? I think it was the lack of communication. I first found out about this on Saturday. Um, I got a copy of a letter that was given to um, a friend's relative. I'm just saying that the meeting was on Monday evening at the parish council meeting. Um, the letter says that there was no consultation on the proposed site. And I think that's why so many people turned out Monday night, just to get an understanding of what is actually going to happen and what the proposals are. OK, but so, so you, now you know what's going on or you have a, a, an idea. What's your problem with, with the proposals? I, I don't have a problem as per se. It's, right. it's, it's a problem. I think um, people need to understand the, the risks and the issues around the area. Um, I believe it to be green belt. Um, there are concerns in the village with regard to sewerage. Um, the area is very prone to flooding. Right. Anglian water are constantly out along that main road. There is ecology. Um, I believe there are newts and butterflies that are actually resident in that field which are protected. There's the area about an issue around schooling. Um, Harlington Lower School in particular is oversubscribed. Mm. Um, so what would happen about the schooling? I believe the same applies for Westerning. And just the culture of the area. People move to Harlington because it is a beautiful place to live. I've lived there for nearly 43 years. Yep. And people move there because of the rural, the community, and it is genuinely a lovely place to live. Cliff, how does that, that make you feel, hearing, hearing what Wendy's saying there? Well, I think... Um uh, with all the respect to the lady, I think she's made it quite clear there's no way that she want gypsies to live there of any time, now, the present or the future. Is that the case, Wendy? I think it's an understanding. Um, I spoke to one of your colleagues on Monday evening and I said that um, some uh, some television programmes haven't enhanced the reputation of the traveller community. Um, I don't have a problem with the travel community in its entirety. Um, you just don't want them near you? It's not nowhere near me, and they, you know, it's not a case of not on my doorstep. Um, I understand that they have to live somewhere, and yeah. I appreciate that. It's getting an understanding of how they are actually going to integrate into the community of Harlington, and not only Harlington, but also Westerning, right. and, um, you know, Tingriff, and this is a local area. Programmes like Big Fat Gypsy Wedding haven't done you any favours, have they, Cliff? Um, yes and no. I suppose at the end of the day, the community is entitled to know how we live. But, you know, I mean, there's lots of programmes on the telly about other communities. And if everybody's going to take it in that light that we're going to cause trouble and we're horrible people to come and live next door to you, I suppose it is going to make people feel very uncomfortable. But I think people really need to understand there's hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands 
of gypsy and travellers who are already residents of Bedfordshire, who are already taxpayers, who already live a decent life in society, and they're not all these rogues that everybody think they are. Cliff, but put Wendy's mind at ease. If, if these sites happen and, and uh, travellers move in, uh, what's, what's going to happen? What, how, how will you impact on, on the local environment? I think one of the main things that I think I could say to the lady to put her mind at ease, and that is that most of the new generations now is the ones who are needing the sites, like our children, and most of them have been to school, they've got an education, they've been integrated into society, and especially their children, which is our grandchildren, they're in colleges and universities, they're, they're completely different people of the future, so I wish we wouldn't keep being, you know, branded on the old travelling community, probably, of where mm. we didn't um, obey the law so much and we broke rules and we pulled on fields and done what we want. We're not the same people of the future. Wendy? I, I do appreciate that, but from my point of view, I have a daughter who, who is, you know, coming up to an age where she may want to think about leaving home. Um, if that area is to be ve- to developed, then why can't we have some, you know, reasonably cheaper houses for the children of the village, the children of Westerning? Um, my daughter can't afford to live in Harlington. Um, she's going to have to go and live in, t- live in a town or move away from the area completely. Um, I fully understand Mr. Cadona's point of view. Um, it, they do, you know, the traveller community have got a bad reputation because of a small minority of people. Mm. Um, but I think the village as a whole is their concern of how are people going to integrate and are they going to keep that part of the village in an area that's, you know, that is beautiful, it's rural, is it going to stay the way it is? There's an issue for myself with access. It's on a main road. Um, there's no public transport. There mm. are no footways, no pathways. There's no lighting. There's no utilities in that area at all. Right. But they'll, they'll install the utilities, I would have thought, wouldn't they? Um, I guess they will, but where yeah. is that money coming from? You know, we live in a village that is a rat's run yeah. um, from the M1 to the A6. We constantly have tra- uh, lorries coming through there. Why can't we actually worry about the infrastructure that's in existence? Where would you suggest they go? I don't know. It's, it's you not know, near you. It's not, ju- not near me. It, it, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound argumentative, but it does kind of sound like you're, it does kind of sound like nimbyism. That, that you, yeah, you want them to find somewhere, but just not where it's near your house. It's not, it's not not near my house. Um, that's not the issue. It's the way that this has been handled by the council. You know, Harlington Parish Council got this notification i believe just after christmas okay. and the letter reads this will not be consulted harlington parish council understands they will not be consulted on the proposed site right and i think that is probably two-thirds of the problem that the village have almost been given this it's a fait accompli central beds council um have already made this decision i know i appreciate that it is only one site over multiple sites across the county. Mm. Um, and it's also the actual size of the, the plot. Mm. I mean, it is a massive, massive area. Mm. Um, I've been led to believe that there could possibly be up to 250 caravans on that site. I thought it was going to be 10, uh, 10 pitches per, per site, or 10 plots per site. Um, I, well, that's not... Obviously, because there's a lack of information right. and nothing's actually been clarified, um, I've been told that it could be up to 250. And who's, who's told you that? Where have you got um, that from? It's just coming through, the, through you know, village rumour. Right. I know people are talking to other people, councillors. Um, it was very disappointing on Monday evening that neither of the yeah. local county councillors came to the meeting. Cliff, you... 130 pitches... By the way, I've just been told that it's going to be 10 um, uh, plots per pitch, so there'll only be 10 caravans per pitch. It won't be 250. Right. That's a myth. Uh, uh, Cliff, 130 pitches, you want more, don't you? We need a lot more when you're talking about 20 years into the future, but it's a real shame 
that the lady is, you know, under the belief that uh, it could turn at 250 caravans, because it's a shame a small spark starts a big fire. Mm. And the best way to start a massive conversation in any village is mention travels or mention a travel site. You know, I mean, once upon a time, you could not get anybody to come to a parish council meeting, but when you want to fill a room now, you just mention travellers and everybody's there. It's a shame. Cliff, can you, can you understand... I can see both sides of this. and uh, Can you understand Wendy's concerns, though, Cliff? I think, at the end of the day, I can understand her concerns, and if I was to take notice of some of the programmes we see on television and what we hear in the media about the travelling community, I wouldn't want them living next door to me. But she's talking, she's talking <laughs> about um, the fact that, 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 that there aren't the facilities to cope with drainage and with lighting, that the local habitat will be disturbed, uh, a, a, as well as the image that's portrayed on TV. There are lots of things that would have the residents concerned, aren't there? I would also say as well, um, if the council or the government proposed on building the site anywhere, it would also bring uh, in front of the site them things that are needed in the area if there's not bus things, there's not extra schooling and stuff like that. That all comes with it as part of the package. Well, do, do, well are you saying that they're going to bring a, an extra school will be built? Well, of course they'd have to, you know what I mean? Uh, Wendy, the, you're laughing at on, that, you don't yeah, think that's the case. proposals now, they, yeah. they cannot just plonk a site anywhere, you know, so that's some of the demands of our people. We won't go anywhere unless we've got good education, Wendy? good transport. With regard to the schooling, I find that absolutely laughable. Um, I moved out of Harlington for financial reasons because I couldn't afford to live there um, in my uh, sort of late teens. And when I had my daughter, I moved back to Harlington because I wanted my daughter to go to Harlington Upper, to Harlington Upper, to Parkfields and Toddington and Harlington Lower. That cost me thousands and thousands of pounds to move back into the village. Um, if they're now suddenly going to build a new school, it just makes a mockery of people having to move house to get children into school. It's almost, isn't it? Your children can go to any school they want to. Mm. Uh, Wendy, what happens next? Where, where, where do you take this next? Um, there is a meeting of the uh, Central Beds um, Communities Overview and Scrutiny Committee at 10.30 this morning. Um, I believe some of the villagers are going along with the Parish Council. And then Harlington Parish Council are trying to hold um, a large meeting because the, the meeting on Monday wasn't an open meeting. Um, so they want to hold a larger meeting mm. um, within the next few weeks. And then there is a big me- meeting um, on the 28th of February, which is at um, Shefford. Wendy, listen, thank you very much for coming. Cliff, thanks very much for your time. That's OK. Cheers, okay. bye-bye. There we go. Well, we shall follow that. You'll be excited to hear that Jonathan Vernon-Smith is sat next to me in the studio. Say hello. Hello. That's all. <laughs> in sport, Andy Murray is through to the third round of the Australian Open after beating Hua Souza of Portugal in straight sets. The weather today for bed... That's his name, Hua. Hua. Hua Souza. Not Juan. The weather today for bed's hearts and bucks. What if David Prever is around? Mainly dry, but very cold. With temp- it's going to be cold all day. Coming up. Now, we heard... Uh, this is serious, so focus. We heard earlier in the programme, we spoke to uh, Ian, a very sad story, a Hertfordshire man who's taking legal action against Luton Borough Council after his wife died of an asbestos-related illness. Very moving interview. If you missed it, I thoroughly recommend you go and listen to it, to it on the iPlayer. Well, before 8.30, we'll speak to his solicitor and Luton Borough Council on the issue. BBC Three Counties Radio. Um, okay, it says on my screen we have two guests in the next piece, so don't spend too long with Jonathan Vernon Smith. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, thanks a lot. Is that, is that right, producer Laura? Yeah. 
Yeah. Correct. Okay, so not spend too long with, with yeah. Jonathan. Yeah, get on with it. Okay. Then. Drag myself in off my sick bed, <laughs> and you want to rush me? Don't come anywhere near me. Don't look at me. Don't breathe on me. Don't lick me. Don't, don't put that away. I don't want to see that. Are you feeling better, love? I'm. Uh, I'm all right. I'm on the road to recovery. You've had a lot of fun though watching daytime television. God, it's terrible, isn't it? Isn't it rubbish? It's terrible. Yeah. I've watched all about uh, clandestines on lorries <laughs> with oxygen probes. <laughs> You, n- you name it, <laughs> I'd be watching it. Listen, we can't spend too much time, because no. we've got to be hurry up, haven't we, Producer Laura? Get on with it! Yeah, we go oh. so quick. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new role since I've been away. What are you letting her on air for? For Christmas, she was given the gift of confidence. You were given the gift of confidence, weren't you? Sometimes I do the travel news. <laughs> yeah, do your posh voice. <laughs> If you've got a problem in beds, hearts and bucks, call us on 08459 455 555 if there's something we're not... Yeah, right, Because <laughs> we know she's dead calm, but she has a point. Anyway, look, hurry up, hurry up, because we've got far more important things to talk about than, than you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, coming up at nine on the big phone in this morning, continuing your very interesting discussion you've been having about travellers, I'm asking, do you support travellers having more sights? Here in Beds, Hearts and Bucks. What's been the general kind of view that has, uh, that's been coming in? Uh, uh, no? Yeah, it, we, we, it's, it's the, the, the main theme we've been hearing is, is uh, listen, we, th- of course they've got to have somewhere, just not there. Well, as you've been discussing, Central Bedfordshire Council will decide how many traveller pitches it needs to provide over the next 20 years or so, and it could be as many as 130. Well, if that's just in Bedfordshire, what about in Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire as well? The, the problem is, of course, travellers need somewhere to live, don't they? I mean, remember mm. Dale Farm? Yep. Uh, we saw there where loads of travellers had, had pitched up, they'd made that their home, and in fact they weren't allowed to, so they need somewhere legal that they can make their home. So do we want more travellers here in Beds, Hearts and Bucks? Do you support those travellers having more sites? Call me now, we'll discuss it from nine on the big phone in 08459. I'd, I, what? I would say email now, because... Not be funny. I'm You're going to steal my callers. Well, no, they're, they're, it's my show, and they'll come. They'll but, take up my staff's but, time. So, right? No, but but if they phone now, he, you might steal them and get them on air. No, I, we have a we've got a higher class of caller. E- email the JVS show at bbc.co.uk. This Put is your new policy since I've been away. What's happened? You Put your contact details in, and the the team might get back to you. That sounds about right, doesn't it, producer Laura? No, they can give us a bell. Oh, nuts! You're supposed to be on my side. No, they can give us a bell. They can phone us up, I suppose, if they want. What? It's all changed. It's, it's all Go kicking off. Here. Uh, it's all kicking off. Out. Thanks. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hertfordshire man is taking legal action against Luton Borough Council after his wife died of an asbestos-related illness. An inquest showed that 64-year-old Hazel MacDonald came into contact with the substance while working at a local school. Earlier on, I spoke to her husband, Ian. And we had an operation to drain out the right lung. Mm. Uh, They did a biopsy and they found these growths. The news came to us like a shotgun. We weren't given any sort of prepared work. The doctor just came straight into the, the, the room and said, I'm sorry, you have this particular bug um, and it's terminal. I very rarely heard my wife cry. Um, and the first question that you start to ask is, how long? You know, and nobody would tell you. Uh, so I then started, you know, phoning round, and I thought, well, we might have four years. 
Uh, as it happened, we only had about two. Well, it was a very moving interview. In the studio now, we have uh, Trevor Holden, Chief Executive of Luton Borough Council. Morning, Trevor. Good morning. Uh, and also, uh, we have uh, Ian's legal representative, Malcolm Underhill. Good morning, Malcolm. Good morning, Ian. We'll start with you first, Malcolm. Why, why are you looking to bring this case? I'm looking to bring this case on behalf of Ian because of the loss of his wife, prematurely so. Uh, As you heard from him this morning, she had uh, recently retired and they were looking forward to many years together uh, with their children and grandchildren. And uh, sadly, her life was cut short, uh, cut short because she was exposed to asbestos while working at Denby uh, Primary School. It must be very difficult uh, legally to establish who's at fault because we're talking about things that that could have happened years ago, aren't we? We are. The reality is that the exposure is likely to have taken place over many years. Uh, And tragically, it appears that asbestos was known to have been in the school uh, in the 90s, 80s and 70s. Uh, That is what the coroner found at the inquest. Uh, And therefore, considerable concern to Ian, as you heard this morning, is that his wife was exposed for many years and potentially others too. Uh, And what he's looking for is uh, a guarantee that uh, this asbestos... Uh, will be or already has been removed from the school so that no others uh, will be impacted by this substance. Uh, Trevor, Chief Executive of Luton Borough Council, how, uh, how do you respond to what Malcolm's saying? Yeah, there? first off, um, really to express the most sincere sympathies to Mr McDonald for his tragic loss and his, his family. Um, the issue of asbestos in public buildings, uh, re- recent HSE surveys would suggest that something like 75% of schools in the UK, there's something like 34,000, have got asbestos in. And indeed the regulations didn't change until something around 2000, I believe. So anything built up to that stage could have asbestos in. And HSE guidance is around having a proper management regime rather than removal of asbestos. Mm. And we have got within our schools a rigid management regime around asbestos to make sure that we're operating in guidance, uh, compliance with the national guidelines and making sure that our schools are safe environments. So why wasn't this dealt with years ago? Well, in terms of dealt with, it isn't about removal. That's why I go No, but back. there are treatments you can do, aren't there, to, to remove the, the effectiveness of the, the asbestos, aren't there? No, what you have to do is make sure that the asbestos is in a, a stable environment, have a uh, record, a log of where there is asbestos in a building, and then if anybody's going to do anything that might disturb that asbestos, mm. then they need a safe certificate of work so that their, their attention is drawn to the fact there's asbestos in this part of the building. So it's about is having that, Is a, that enough, really, when there, when there are kids... That that are potentially exposed to this and teachers and, and people there every day. Is that enough? Yeah, the guidance is that asbestos is best left and managed, that it's safe. Mm. Um, and to go back to 75% of schools, public buildings have probably got asbestos in. Um, some of that is you know, geared to the fact that so many buildings mm. with asbestos in manage it safely. We've got a now, safe you're, you're, you're management your, your regime. Head at, at that. Well, it, it, Trevor is right to an extent in saying that there are, the guidance is to manage, but as we know in this case, it, it wasn't managed. Otherwise, Hazel would still be with us. Mm. Uh, and the reality is that uh, the current regulations need to be reviewed. Uh, an all-party uh, group on occupational health and safety last year uh, that group of MPs um, said that there were significant problems. Uh, they pointed to the number of teachers that were now dying from exposure to asbestos, and they're calling for change. They've uh, asked for the government to now adopt a policy of removing all asbestos in schools. 
that is only that is the only safe way to ensure that those working in schools and going to school to learn will be safe into the future. But if Luton Borough Council is is um, following the guidelines that are laid down at the, at the moment, the current rules and regulations, then they're doing nothing wrong, are they? Well, they are, but because they haven't followed the guidelines, they haven't managed it because Hazel is no longer with us. Trevor, you've, you've, you've not managed it. Yeah, it would be completely inappropriate for me to um, comment on the particular case, mm-hmm. other than to say the assertions that have made are unproven. There's a case to be considered. I can't comment on that. Um, we are operating consistent with the guidelines. We are managing. We've got an active management process around asbestos within our buildings and go back to nationally, something like 75% of schools will have asbestos in them, HSE's own studies. Um, equally, on hearing of... This this, this um, coroner's report, we, we were really, really keen to go out and make sure that we were 100% categoric. We did reassurance checks over the weekend. And, What's you a know, reassurance uh, check? Air quality checks. Right. Um, so the management regime's absolutely right. And those, what were the results of those air quality checks? Absolutely, 100% categorically, that, that school is safe. Right. And so, you know, we, we're, we want to do, get that message out to reassure people who are using the school, but that's on the back of a management regime which which is consistent with HSE guidelines. Look, and there is a possibility, I suppose, that this asbestos wasn't from this school and was, was from somewhere else in Hazel's life. I think it's unlikely. The coroner conducted a thorough investigation and his conclusions were that she contracted mesothelioma from her time in an education environment, i.e. at Denby School, where she worked for something like 25 years. There is an active case. We are treading carefully. What, what, what happens now? What's, what's the progress? Well, process? The, the, the process is that um, uh, Mr MacDonald and I are waiting to receive a formal response from the council and the school in relation to the allegations we put to them. And hopefully uh, they will, oh, in, within the next month or so, accept that they have failed in their responsibilities. And if they so don't, that go, you then go to court? If they do not accept responsibility, then it will be a matter for Mr MacDonald and I to consider the next steps okay trevor final word from you yeah we tragic loss and sympathies go out they are exactly that they are allegations made yep. we have a safe practice in terms of management of asbestos within our buildings and just a message to the people who use our schools they are safe environments and the council will be responding to, to yeah, absolutely that's the stuff for okay. uh, legalese and lawyers Lovely. all right listen gentlemen thank you very much for coming in it's uh, malcolm underhill uh, ian's uh, legal representative and trevor holden chief executive of Ludenborough council thank you very Thanks much for your much. time and that's your latest news and sport more from me <laughs> at nine o'clock what are you laughing at <laughs> <laughs> oh i've lost all respect for you well you had some a, a tiny, tiny <laughs> little bit left, uh, but I've lost all respect for you. If anyone wants to lose respect for Catherine Boyle, go <laughs> if on. If anyone's to, left, go, go <laughs> on to Twitter at BBC3CR, and you can see a pic of Kath rifling through the news bin. It looks like it looks like you're sicking up. <laughs> Maybe I am. Oh dear. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. It is a cracking picture of... You know, know, (laughs) I tell you what it looks like. At BBC Three CR on Twitter, there's a picture of Catherine going through uh, the news bin. You know when on news reports they uh, talk about binge drinking and Broken Britain and and they show footage of uh, really tarty drunk girls collapsing in high streets in the middle of the night? It looks like one of those pictures. That you could easily put that picture on a, a news report on binge drinking and it wouldn't look out of place. Uh, 8.33...
Lots coming up before Jonathan Vernon-Smith returns uh, at nine o'clock. What's the best way of clearing ice from your windscreen? Doris in Stevenage suggested rubbing a raw potato on it. We have someone who's going to try it for us. We'll see in a minute. And it's going to cost you two quid instead of one to play the lottery in autumn. Is it a waste of time and money playing the lottery? Well, reporter Justin Dealey has been finding out. We'll talk about that uh, in a second. Uh, Carolyn Luton has said, Ian, I think the 100% increase in the lottery is wrong at this time when people are losing their jobs. I said to my partner I would complain to my MP to encourage Parliament to intervene. When he replied that the lottery is a government-approved body and they would have to have okayed this increase, he also said the Euro Millions will also follow suit now to at least £3. thing is, you can complain. Of course you can complain. Or you could stop doing the lottery. I, I don't know. Those, that's an option. You could save yourself that two quid. Now, Doris uh, called in and had a wonderful solution for uh, getting rid of ice on your windscreen. A raw potato. Cut a potato in half, rub it on there. Pauline's in Stopsley. Morning, Pauline. Morning. Now, you, I believe you've tried it. Yes, my w- car's just outside the door, so I've tried it. And was describe the state of your car window before you did it. Well, it hadn't been defrosted before. So it was, it, there was frost on it? It's about three days frost on it. Three days frost. Wow, you're our dream caller. And you heard this, uh, this uh, solution from Doris. What did yes. you think when you heard it? Well, I thought I'd go and try it. After a while, it's cold out there. I I know, I know, and I appreciate it. Another coat on, and I got a small potato and done a corner of the windscreen. And what happened? And it's clear. Hey, it it worked? Yes, and that was White's potatoes. They, they were which potatoes, were they? White's. Let me just write that down, they were White's. I wonder if it worked with a Maris Piper. (laughs) <laughs> so you, 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 only did a, you only did a tiny corner. Why did you only do that much? Oh, because it's cold out oh. there. <laughs> Bless you, Pauline. You're so I'm lovely. I'm a pensioner, so I don't need to be out in the cold. No, you don't. And I, I pray nothing happens to you today. I, I feel terrible. Did, and was it easy to do? Did you have to rub it hard, or did you just rub it gently and it came off? Just a couple of seconds and it was coming off. Yeah. So you rubbed it for a couple of seconds and it came off. Yeah. You'd you probably d- need a big potato for a big screen. Yeah, you would do. I've or- got a big car, so... Okay, but it but it worked. So yes. you, you didn't have to rub it hard or anything. You rubbed it gently with a yes. potato and it came off. Yes. Lovely. Pauline, bless you. Go and have a nice cup of tea. I'm having one now. Uh, you said Jonathan, Jonathan's on in, in, in 25 minutes. Okay, thank uh, you. Thank, do you like Jonathan? Yes. Good, okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad we cleared that. He'll be on in 25 minutes. Excellent stuff. Pauline, she rubbed it, she rubbed it, uh, didn't even rub it that hard and it came off. So that was fantastic. Well done there, Pauline. See, it works. You see, you learn things on this show. You learn things on this show. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, we've been hearing from residents in a Hertfordshire village who fear a child could die before action is taken to change a dangerous road junction. They say motorists regularly jump red lights in the centre of Little Haddon, where the road bends sharply and narrows into a single carriageway over a bridge which is hemmed in by listed buildings. Hertfordshire police have been taking action against motorists there recently and have returned to the village today. Well, earlier on, I spoke to the councillor responsible for transport on Hertfordshire County Council, Stuart Pyle. Uh, We spoke to Helen and and Justine earlier on, Okay, They have both got kids, and they have both got stories of their kids almost being knocked down by drivers who are jumping these lights there. What's your message to them? My message to them is that the police are regularly enforcing that we are looking at it. Uh, and it's one of those things that if people break the law, then, you know, it's very difficult for us as, as county uh, authorities to be able to do too much. So the police have been... They've been to the police and the police, they, they've reported number plates and things like that and the police yeah. haven't done anything with that information. 
Um, well, I, well, I wouldn't know about that. I wouldn't want to comment on what the police do. But when they do well, take numbers, it's, they it's do enforce. Uh, and we do the same okay. uh, when people jump and try so to mow down our school crossing. Your, your message to, to, to the, the, the people that we spoke to earlier on, who've, who've both been in, in serious incidents where their kids were nearly hit, knocked down, is, sorry, there's nothing we can do. There is nothing at the moment. Wow. We are seriously looking at this wow. function. Well, we can talk now to the Safer Neighbourhood Inspector for the East Hearts area, Inspector Chris Hunt, who's in Little Haddam. Morning, Inspector. Good morning. Uh, how diff- I, Listen, I don't know this junction, and I, I should have gone and had a look at it yesterday. How difficult is this junction for motorists? Uh, it's an extremely busy uh, uh, ju- traffic light junction. It's a major route uh, between the A10 and the M11 uh, crossing the rural area. and uh, So it's a major trunk road carrying thousands and thousands of vehicles from uh, motorbikes to heavy goods vehicles. Four traffic streams to cater for, lights there. It, it, I guess it must test drivers' patience at times when they can be faced for a red light by, we heard, up to six minutes. I, is there any excuse for what they're doing? No, not at all. Um, I believe that, uh, well, that it's proven that uh, the last three uh, days of enforcement that we've done, uh, 99% of the people are local and they know the traffic light set up. It is um, causing uh, some, some delay, but you should feature that into your travel plans when you're leaving for school. Perhaps leave six, seven, eight minutes late, uh, earlier so you can get through these traffic lights. So you've been there. How many days have you been there for now, this little... Uh Little uh, Haddon, we've been there, with my rural team, we've been there, this is our fourth day of action, okay. uh, we've started before Christmas. And, and so, th- how, are you allowed to say, are you arresting people today, are you stopping people today if they, if they jump through the lights? Yes, absolutely, we're not arresting people, we're stopping people and they get reported. Right, what does that, that mean? means that the paperwork goes uh, to our, trif- uh, our, our uh, uh, collisions department, and they summons these people to go to court it, or issue a fine, which could be sixty pounds or three points on your license. Mm. You've already got uh, points on your license up to nine points. That could mean disqualification. Are, are you allowed to say how many people you've you've stopped and issued these to today? Yes, yes, uh, we're up to eleven so far. Wow, this is still out, um, and it's a quite quite uh, a varied uh, people that we've stopped. We've stopped one local man. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people uh, are very local, live in the rural villages that are coming through, two with children on board. We've had one mobile phone use and a heavy goods vehicle, which is obviously even more extremely dangerous. So it's 11 this morning. What, t- what, what time did you start this this morning? 7.30 this morning, so, so we've been going just over the hour. In an hour and 10 minutes, you've stopped 11 people doing this. That's yeah. incredible. Yes, uh, last week it was 18. Is there... I mean, I mean, it's great when you're there and you can stop them and, and, and hopefully word gets around that that's what you're doing. But you, obviously you can't be there all the time. Is there any way, Inspector, that we can make this junction safer? Yes, absolutely. What we propose to do, we've listened to the, the public and, and the, the near misses, which are awful. Mm. And uh, so this is why we've instigated this phase that we're doing now of enforcement. We'll use this to evidence to uh, our partner agencies to sit down in a meeting to look at the long-term uh, proposed issues that we want to, to look at. Because it isn't sustainable to have six officers do this every day. No. So what we want, would like to do is to say, well, what can we do with this traffic light junction for a long-term problem? Solved? And what are the options? We spoke to the, the, the councillor earlier on who um, said that, that there was a possibility of a bypass, but that they wouldn't get the funding for that until 2015. Cameras, would, would you can get those cameras, can't you, that, that, that snap you if you jump through traffic lights? I think uh, that will probably be the best way forward um, to, to when, when we've got all this evidence now to show how dangerous this is, uh, that we need to take this forward and say that uh, 
the way forward could probably be technical, and, and that's going to be the use of cameras, I believe, because this if we change the phasing of the lights, mm. it's going to cause absolute uh, major chaos for travellers going between the, uh, the A10 and the M11, which we can't sustain. Have you spoken to any of the residents there um, while you've uh, b- been, been at this junction? Yes, we've spoken to lots of residents, lots of people walking to school, very supportive of what we're doing. Um, hopefully, within a short period of time, people will get educated, but I'm still flabbergasted that we've stopped uh, 11 people already today. Having even put it on Twitter, we've had the local newspaper report it in the paper and on their website, mm. and we've got it on our police website as well, and people are still floating the lawn going through the red lights. And what excuses are people giving when, when, when you pull them over? Uh, a lot of the time it's just that they're blaming the phasing of the lights, um, they're late, they've got to get somewhere they're very late. quickly, uh, and that is obviously no excuse whatsoever when we're getting so many sort of near misses, yeah. uh, and one in- it has included a school bus, um, which was uh, reported last week. We t- yes, we, 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 mentioned, we alluded to this earlier on, what, did, tell me about this, this was a school bus full of kids. Yes, that's right. Um, it, it's run through the village to pick children up to take them to five uh, uh, senior schools within Bishop Stalford from the rural area. Uh, the bus was full up with children, and the driver followed two other vehicles through red lights and, and uh, went through the red light himself uh, and was obviously stopped and reported for that offence straight away. Incredible. Um, well, listen, I'm not going to ask how long you're there for for the rest of the day. You, you stay there and carry on the good work. Inspector Chris Hunt there, who is, uh, is at that junction that we've been reporting uh, about in Little Haddam. So I go, they've been there 70 minutes. They've stopped 11 people. I find that incredible. Just incredible. <coughs> Excuse me. And there's a, oh yeah, I'm a bit late. Well, you know, maybe in my younger days I would have done a similar thing. And I, I look back on, w- with shame at that because there's no, there's no excuse for jumping through a red light like that on, on a particularly dangerous junction where it's a bit blind and there's a bend and there are kiddies crossing and, and stuff like that. Ridiculous. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Facebook. You can go to the Facebook page during the show, but you can also go and comment on the stuff that we've been talking about any time of the day. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And also, if you've got ideas for things that we should be doing on the show, you can let us know via Facebook. Um, if, you know, we, we're, we're talking about this story because we, we, we found out about it. If you've got a story that you think we should be discussing, then uh, go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR uh, and let us know. And if it's worth, if it's worth a gander, then we might have a little look. Hey, it really could be you if you bought a lottery ticket in Bedford. The National Lottery has taken the unusual step to find the owner of a winning Euro Millions millionaire raffle ticket worth a whopping £1 million. A millionaire's job is, this is clever, a millionaire's job is being advertised in a number of recruitment agencies in the town and in today's papers. It suggests how working life might be for the lucky uh, ticket holder if they come forward and claim before the ticket is due to expire on Wednesday the 23rd of January. Not long to go. Patrick Lissoir is in charge of unclaimed prizes for Camelot. Morning, Patrick. Good morning. How unusual is it for there to be a big, massive prize that's not been claimed? I think it's, uh, it's safe to say that it's, it's very unusual. Um, I, I don't often get to come on the radio uh, and make these last-minute uh, desperate pleas for people to check their tickets. If you think how many draws there are uh, per week and how many games we operate, whether it's Thunderball, Lotto or Euromillions, it's very rare that I actually get the, the chance to talk about it. So I'm happy to say that, as you would expect, people who buy their tickets uh, in 99.9% of the cases 
uh, people check their tickets very quickly and came, claim their their prizes very. Have quickly. you you're you're you're, apply, you're looking for um, someone for a millionaire's job? Has this approach worked before? Have you tried it in the past? Yeah, it's, I think it's a it's a fun it's a fun way of um, making people stand up and take attention and make it. Uh, take attention of uh, what's going on and ultimately checking their tickets we've done this a couple of times before uh, for other unclaimed prizes and yes sometimes it's successful sometimes it's not for whatever reason when people come forward pa- patrick at the last minute right mm. and they've had well, they have like six months i think is it, isn't it to claim the prize days, 180 yeah. days when they come forward on the, the last week what excuses do they give for being so tardy <laughs> well unless somebody takes publicity we will never know the details right. of, um why it took them so long but there have been instances where people have just uh, been extremely busy uh, which is a long time to be busy six months um People have found, uh, have lost the tickets and then refound them. Mm. People have been on holiday, not being aware that the ticket was unclaimed because they've been. I don't think they, they don't they deserve know. the money, Patrick. <laughs> they, if they've been on holiday then they, and they've been unaware, they don't deserve the million pounds. I'll have it. Well, if if they've paid their money and they've mm. they, they, then they deserve the money as long as they come forward in 180 days. So anyone who plays. Uh, the the lottery and specifically uh, Euro Millions will remember that this particular ticket was uh, on the night of the uh, the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. Oh. Uh, we created 100 millionaires through the Euro Millions Millionaire oh. Raffle on that night, and these is, this is one of those prizes that hasn't yet been claimed. Now, on the bottom of your Euro Millions ticket is a code and if this code is at the bottom of your ticket then it is worth one million pounds the code is dz well hang on hang on let me get one hang on let me get one right go go you're going to cue me in no i've got my ticket in front of me you go 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 away yeah uh the 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 code is (gasps) dz yes zero two nine yes six three eight six three Eight. Oh, nuts. <laughs> Six, three, seven. Unbelievable. What are the chances of that? Do, I, are you, do you know where the, sh- the ticket was bought? Are you allowed to give us that information? Uh, all I can say that it was bought in the borough of Bedford. I don't know any more information than that. Um, the reason is that we actually have a, a licence requirement as operators of the National Lottery to protect the right of the ticket holder yes. as to when they come forward as to whether they choose to take publicity or and, and, and tell the world about it or remain anonymous. So... Um, it's about player protection, and if you narrow it down too far to a certain shop or a part of town, then you kind of run the risk of compromising their choice. Of course you do, of so course you do. That's why it's quite a broad area, and I hope people understand that, and it's, you wouldn't want to take their choice nope. away from them. No, at all. I, I, fingers crossed they turn up. It will completely change uh, uh, somebody's life. Patrick, the lottery's in the newspapers a lot today. It, it's going to double its price to £2. We've been hearing from people who go, well, actually, do you know what, that, that might put me off buying a ticket well, what's your reaction to that well i'm on, i'm i'm here really to talk about the unclaimed prize so i I'm, i can't comment on that you've not got an opinion on it I, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that i'm just urging okay. everyone who plays the the uh, euro millions millionaire raffle uh, who, who cast their mind back to the olympics and the olympic opening ceremony um with in the last final countdown for this this particular prize as you said earlier it's the the, the expiry is wednesday the 23rd of uh, january so if you pay the if you play the euro millions millionaire lottery um, check your tickets now. Okay. Time is running out. It must be a concern, though, mustn't it, with, with it doubling the price that you're going to lose, punters? As I say, I'm here to talk about the unclaimed okay. prize. You, you, you couldn't give us an opinion? <laughs> I'm here, I, as I said, we're talking about the unclaimed prize okay. uh, this morning, so uh, I'd, I'd urge everyone just okay. to, uh, to check their tickets, please. Okay. But, but, just, but just the final, final thing, because it is in all the front pages, and I would, would be amiss if I didn't ask you uh, about this. It doesn't worry lottery. There must be whispers around Camelot going, well, hang on a second, we could be in trouble here. 
Um, as I say, I'm talking about the unclaimed prize, but the, okay. if you look at the, uh, the, the full stories on it, the, the, uh, we've responded to what players said about wanting better prizes at better prize levels okay. and things like that. Because some of the prices have come down, haven't they? Um, I, I, as I say, I'm not going to comment on it. Okay, we'll leave it there. Patrick, thank you very much indeed. We played your game, you wouldn't play ours. Never mind. Well, Justin Dealey has been uh, out and about to find out what the impact in prices will have, and maybe Patrick will hear this. Justin, what have you found out? Ian, I'm here talking about potatoes and not the National Lottery. Thank oh. you very much. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche! We shall come back to the potatoes in a second, but uh, <laughs> I'm on Marsh Road in Leegrave. <laughs> well, you do make me laugh. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I've been talking to lottery players about this, uh, this big leap from, from £1 to £2. I've been talking to those here in the local news agent. Ian, I can tell you yes. they are not happy at one bit. Take yeah. a listen to this. Not very happy at all. I'm a pensioner and I like to uh, do the lottery. If it's going to go up double, are they doubling the price? No. The average jackpot's going to go up from 4.1 million to 5 million. So what you're saying is you're going to double the price but not double the winnings? That's what Camelot are saying, yes. Well, that's not very good at all, is it? If you're buying four tickets a week, will you still buy four a week? No, I should probably cut down. Due, well, due to the fact that if it's going to double, that'll be... Instead of £4, that'll be £8 a week. And that's a big jump for you. That's a big jump. You know, every week, every month, every year, that's a lot of money. That's an awful lot of money to us, yes. You seem quite shocked about it. I am. I, it, I think it's a disgrace. I mean, people, you know, do the lottery just for have a little bit of fun, and um, hopefully they'll get a little bit out of it, but to suddenly double the price out of the blue and not double the amount of winnings, or your chances of winning, even... You know, I don't think it's right. Well, here's John, who's got his lottery tickets in his hand. You spent £8 on lottery tickets today. Now you know the price is going up later in the year. Is that going to mean you're going to have to cut back? Yes, I'll have to cut back, yes. Yes. So instead of £8, what will I go down to? Four, maybe? Uh, four pounds, yeah. I am very upset over it. Why is it going up? What they're saying is, if they can put it up, they can maybe offer you more of a jackpot if you win. But you're not really bothered about that, are you? Oh, no, I think the jackpot is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be too greedy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, four point one million to five million pounds—not a big jump, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. Enjoy the draw, and if you do win, you can buy me a drink. Right, thank you. Well, so people people don't seem that keen on it, do they, Justin? People aren't keen. Also, I've been talking to Praveen, who runs this local news agents. Now he's worried about this because, for those that don't know, news agents don't make a lot of money on these lottery tickets. It's I've got no idea how much do they make from it. I've got no idea. He wouldn't give me a figure. He said it's such a, a small margin, but but the idea is that machine is in their shops, which will hopefully draw people people right. into the store and when they're there they may buy something else so if they are going to be selling less lottery tickets and certainly from from the people we've been talking to they're not going to buy as many that's going to have a negative impact on his business as well i auditioned to be the host of the wednesday night lottery a couple of years ago and you failed all right st- yes. yes yes obviously <laughs> i failed they, they, I, my audition was great they said i was too subversive really i know and they gave it to oj borge who <laughs> looks like me but muscular <laughs> listen but on to the important stuff yes. you've got an icy window you've got a potato well i've got a potato here hugo with me. Hugo, can you confirm that's a potato? Feel it for me. I can confirm. Is it hard? Solid. Okay, we've got a solid potato. What are you looking for, Ian? <laughs> Have you not been pro- Is there a frosty car window nearby? Uh, well, unfortunately not, you see. If oh. I was to do that, I think I, I, what I would be doing oh. is tampering with somebody's car. However, you asked me to get a potato. Yes. I've got a potato. I've yeah. got a backup plan here. Tomorrow morning, oh. live in the Three Counties Radio Car Park, yeah. with a frosty windscreen on our radio car at 6am, yeah. this potato, will it work? We'll find out tomorrow. How does well, that sound? <laughs> It's hardly a great tease that's going to get people tuning in at six o'clock in the morning, is it? I've never tried this before. It might well work. It it may well change my life, waking up every morning, scraping the windscreen, get a potato out, and it'll do the job for you.
Really, it's been a really solid show today. We've mm. had tears, we've had laughter, we've yeah, had arguments, yeah. we've had emotion, and you just ended on a complete anticlimax. Well, I can't go up to somebody's car with a potato and start scrubbing their windscreen, can I? I'll be attacked live on air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Justin. Justin, Justin, Justin. If we were both single, I'd ask you out on a date. <laughs> Thank you very much, Justin. Excellent stuff, as always. It's been a good show today, hasn't it? Well, there we go. That's it. We made it through. Lots of bits and pieces. I'm back tomorrow at six o'clock. Stay tuned. Oh, he's back. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, he's back. Good morning. Thank you, Ian.